Hey, welcome to another episode. <laughs> we are back. Special episode. This one. This is um. This is going to be a bit of a different episode. We're going to do a bit of a sports spotlight on one of my favorite sports, jujitsu. Jujitsu. So jujitsu is like probably one of the fastest growing sports in the world at the moment, especially in Australia. Um, and to the people involved in jujitsu, it's more than just a sport. It can be like a, a therapy session. It can be an intense workout, a way to get your aggression out. But it's also proven time and time again to be probably the most effective martial art. Um, so today we're going to do a bit of a spotlight, a bit of a, uh, a deep dive into jiu-jitsu and, and have a look sort of how it started and get some insights from... A very special guest. A very special guest. Um, well respected in the Australian jiu-jitsu community. Um, Grant Bradshaw is actually a... Hoist Gracie and Luke Beston Black Belt uh, owns and runs his own jiu-jitsu academy, Iconic Jiu-Jitsu. Awesome place to train for anyone up on the Central Coast. That's where Ross trains. <laughs> <laughs> the academy is actually part of the Hoist Gracie network. Uh, by extension, yeah. By extension. And Grant has trained with some of the best grapplers in both MMA and jiu-jitsu in the world. Learned from some of the best. Also a competitor. Um, also an MC at some um, jiu-jitsu events like Subversion and Valor. Yeah, um, so Valor fight down in, uh, down in Tasmania was fantastic. We ran that for a few years. Good story to start off there. So, you know, MMA in its fledgling days in Australia. Just come a little bit close to the mic so we can hear. Yep. So MMA in its fledgling days in Australia. I don't think I've told you this story. Uh, we're down in Tasmania. It's Valor 2. The first one was success. success. They've organised this outdoor venue. It was beautiful. It was in Tasmania. It was a Harley-Davidson uh, outlet. Yeah, we get down there at the morning, six a.m. I think it's August, Tasmania, freezing in Tasmania. They hadn't told us it was going to be outside, <laughs> and this is because two or three days before, all the venues had fallen through. And we get there, and we're like, okay, where are we setting up? We've driven down the road. They're like, right here. Yeah, but we're on the road. Yeah, that's where we're doing it. So we actually set up a cage on a road, on a cul-de-sac in front of a Harley dealership. Did you have to set like close the road down or anything? You would think so. What? No. <laughs> okay, move the cage, car. Yeah. It's like that old, it's like that ba- old episode of um, Wayne's World yeah, where they're on. playing hockey. And, yeah. <laughs> but it seems that when you get a couple of thousand MMA fans in Tasmania in front of a Harley dealership, they don't worry about closing the road down because no one dares drive down there anyway. No. But by the end of it, because it was so cold and a lot of dew and that kind of thing, in between rounds, I think I was emceeing that show maybe, um, the promoters were jumping in there. Everyone was jumping in there. The The cage itself was like an ice skating rink. So nice. it was just in between every five minutes, we'd all jump in there. We'd um, towel off the mats, all that kind of stuff. Just when you're thinking, what else could go wrong? Off comes the cage door. Oh, no. So guys gone for a massive double leg takedown, just hit the wrong part of the cage, hit the door, right in the sweet spot on that hinge, down she comes. So that was uh, the early days of MMA in Australia. Yeah, good way to good way uh, to humble start. Humble beginnings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So probably like we're probably talking to a few people out here that, that don't actually know what jiu-jitsu is. And and any time I tell someone that I do jiu-jitsu, it's like the instantly the hands come up. It's like oh yeah, look, it's some karate stance, which drives me crazy. I want to choke them on the spot. <laughs> um, but we should probably kick off by like telling people like what is jiu-jitsu. Yeah, what so is jiu-jitsu? So it's aggressive cuddling, isn't it? Yeah, or well, that's what uh, we do most nights. Folding laundry with people still in the clothes. That's, that's right. Or <laughs> involuntary yoga. So yeah. there are a few different ways of doing it. And one of the things that when I very first saw jiu-jitsu, the idea was to be able to control someone else without actually hurting them. And a big part of jiu-jitsu is submissions and the like. 
Uh, and a great way that we talk about it when we're training is the, the uncle theory. So you're at a party with, you know, you, you, everyone's got that uncle when they're at a Christmas party and he has a bit too much to drink and someone needs to shut him down. Yeah. Now, if you're a Muay Thai fighter, fantastic. That's great. I've been at this party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you the uncle? Yes. Right. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> I used to be. <laughs> kicked in the face by the Muay Thai guy. <laughs> but I mean, your Muay Thai fighter can't just go and shin kick Uncle Gary to the head. It's, it's well, not going to end well for anyone. It depends how much <laughs> Uncle Gary's being a dickhead. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. But with jiu-jitsu, you can calm Uncle Gary down. You can control him. You can get him to the ground. You can, If you need to put him to sleep, you can. Um, but without doing any last Is this last an actual real-life story? This sounds familiar. It does sound familiar, it but sounds, it wasn't me. No, it might have been your wife. It might have been. So and Uncle Gary won't be listening to this podcast. So. Uncle Gary won't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> Uncle Gary was about 140 kilos of Uh-oh. Taekwondo, black belt, and ex-Special Forces, etc. Um, Grant's wife, not 140 kilos, not ex-black belt, definitely not Special Forces. And, uh, yeah, he had a bit too much to drink and took a couple of liberties he shouldn't have. I was fortunate enough to be able to sit back and watch. And while everyone else was saying, Grant, why don't you get in there? Why don't you, why don't you help your wife? I'm sitting back, <laughs> hands on my head, feet up. And she, you know, she's all right. She got she's this. All right. <laughs> Next thing he was crying. Yeah. And it was cool. Well, and that's jujitsu. It's, it's, it's basically a martial art that has been designed to help a smaller opponent deal with a larger opponent, right? That's exactly right. And it's all about being efficient and using leverage and technique. Um, and that's basically the nuts and bolts of it. How's it different to all the other martial arts? Like what, what is different about jujitsu that makes it special? I think the biggest thing is the live training. There can't be any bullshit. Like, with all respect to, to every other martial art out there, I've got so much respect for anyone who takes up a martial art, the amount of discipline it shows, um, the mental discipline, the physical discipline. Um, with jiu-jitsu in particular, most nights you're going to live spar. You know, we call yeah. it rolling. Uh, and you're going to be wrestling people and your techniques have got to work. If they're not working, you're going to wind up being submitted. So I think the biggest advantage isn't so much the art itself, although I very much believe in the techniques, I think it's the training methodology that we use and the fact that we are actually live sparring mm. pretty much every time we roll. You couldn't do that with, with boxing, yeah, with Muay Thai. You can't just get hit in the head all the time, you know. With Jiu-Jitsu, you guys are going hard and it's, you can't go hard in a lot of striking sports That's exactly safely. right yeah. because they're all about that force generation and if you generate that so much force all of the time, someone's going to wind up you know, seriously hurt. It's yes. probably the only martial art where you can live spar at 100%. Not that everyone live spars at 100% all the time, well, but in, at 100%. In judo, you can go pretty hard. <laughs> you can, but, but that is taxing. You go 100% yeah. in judo, getting sort of slammed, um, getting thrown night after night. Um, eventually, your body just will break down. We've got a few judo guys that, that train at our academy and yeah, they're definitely a little bit more broken down, <laughs> but they're a little bit older as well and they're... Um, yeah, but it, yeah, it is different to many martial arts and it, it's primarily focused on the ground, but there is a whole curriculum of, of self-defense techniques that, that teaches you how to deal with an attacker in a street situation. And this has caused a little bit of, um, it's not controversy, but a bit of a split in jiu-jitsu. You, over the years, jiu-jitsu has evolved from being sort of purely self-defense, dealing with an attacker, and then as it's evolved over the years, it's become more sport-based. So you've got your sport-based guys and then you've got your traditional sort of um, self-defense guys. Mm. You sit somewhere in the middle. (laughs) I do, right on that fence. But but talk about that as far as a self-defense perspective. Like it's definitely effective for self-defense. Yeah, certainly. And I think 
it's a really good point you raise because there's a bunch of different ways to look at that issue. There is a bit of a schism at the moment between the, the competitors and the traditional self-defense. And there's a few different ways to look at it. A, a lot of the, the competitors will say, well, we're fit, we're athletes, and because of that, we don't need to know the self-defense curriculum because we're that fit and that trained. Yeah, so is your average NRL footballer, so is mm. your average soccer player even. You know, When they're relying on fitness, that's one thing, and, and that's very good and that's very true. But most people, when they first get involved in any martial art, be it karate, taekwondo, kung fu, whatever it is, they don't walk in because they want to get a little plastic medal for that sport. Yeah. They walk in because they want to learn to defend themselves or they want that sense of camaraderie of part of a martial arts school or they walk in because they don't want their kids to get bullied at school and they've heard that jiu-jitsu is a really good way to do that, as we said earlier, mm. without actually hurting uh, the other person. That's what I love about jiu-jitsu, that, mm. that, that point you just made. You, you can subdue or attack or hold off an opponent without actually smacking them ahead or doing something that might get you into some legal trouble. And I think that's why jiu-jitsu has been so popular these days with, with students, with kids. Yeah. Um, they're able to sort of defend or get themselves in a position where they don't actually have to hit another student and get in trouble. So, yeah, that's why it's so popular with kids. Yeah, very much so. And one of the things that we teach, so I'm a school teacher in my other life and my other other life. <laughs> and one of the things we teach the kids at jiu-jitsu is that amount of control, that element of control. If you hit the other kid back, it doesn't matter what they've said to you. It doesn't matter what they've done to you. You're going to get in trouble as yeah. well. You're going to hurt that kid. There's going to be consequences down the line for you. But if you can use, we talk about verbal jiu-jitsu first. If you can use that de-escalation, mm. you know, talk your way out of it, maintain and create distance. Uh, and then if you need to, to protect yourself, you can do it in such a way that you're not going to hurt the other person too bad. Yeah. And it, it is the gentle martial art, right? But, you know, obviously it has its origins in a very savage um, time. It's where the, that's what samurais used to do, right? Um, many martial arts originated from samurais. Is that why you got your samurai shirt? I got my samurai t-shirt today because, you know, I'm a bit of a samurai geek. Um, Absolutely. Well, it's a, that's actually a good lead in. Like you, you hear in jiu-jitsu, you hear a lot about the Gracie family. Mm. Um, and they basically adapted the martial art and commercialized it so that it is a popular or is popular worldwide. But how, how did that start? How did yeah, Give us a bit of a, a history, history lesson history, on the Gracie's. History 101. Yeah. yeah. So basically, look, it came from, as you said, you're dead right, it originated with the samurai in Japan. And there's not a lot in martial arts, there's not a lot that's truly new. Hmm. Anything that you see, you know, we could we could deep dive into, into technical positions. I could say Kiss of the Dragon and, and Ross would probably be the only person who would know what that is. <laughs> Darren's looking at us I'm going, already aroused. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, you guys watched that Jet Li movie too? <laughs> <laughs> it's an excellent documentary. <laughs> but you could take something like that, a really new cutting-edge sport technique, and somewhere out there, there's a relief of some dude in ancient Greece doing it. Mm. You know, So what the Gracies really did is they took this, this form of judo that was brought over to Brazil from Japan, and they adapted it. Mm. They, among others, they adapted it, and they became more about training more efficiently, as we said, uh, about really trying to refine those techniques. But more significantly what, significantly, what they did was they brought it to the masses. As you said, up until the late 80s, early 90s, jiu-jitsu really was something that, with a few rare exceptions, it existed in Brazil. Mm. Yep. Um, and from there, when Horian brought the UFC to prominence in 1993, uh, showcased Hoist, of course, 
that was where jiu-jitsu really exploded because if nothing else, what they did was they opened up to a whole generation of people. They opened it up to the Western world. So UFC won. Just describe what went down for any non-UFC sort of <laughs> fans. Obviously, the, the, the whole thing of UFC was, you know, what's the best martial arts? Yeah. That's why it started. So uh-huh. that's, And that's exactly right. And so, look, Horry and Gracie, he basically wanted to showcase his martial arts, showcase Gracie jiu-jitsu, and put together eight of the biggest, baddest fighters you could find from around the world, uh, including his brother, Hoyce, who was not the biggest, uh, probably one of the baddest, though, <laughs> and put together a tournament over one night. I know a lot of people who are watching out there are familiar with the UFC, but when you say names like Hoyce Gracie, Ken Shamrock, Dan Seven, those original guys, they're like, yeah, who's that? So the first UFC was in November 1993, and it looked nothing like, yeah. nothing like it did today. These days, these guys are all fit, well-rounded, professional athletes. They're martial artists in, in, in every sense of the word. But in the past, it was about style versus style. So you mm. had a, a boxer, you had a sumo wrestler. A boxer with one glove. A boxer with one <laughs> glove, Art Jimison. Uh, you had <laughs> kickboxers who were, and these guys were all, they were experts in their field. They were recently among the, the most elite in the world. And then they, they headed up to Denver, Colorado, I think it was one night, and they had this tournament, no time limits, uh, no rounds, very few rules, and the rules were only enforced by you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't poke your opponent in the eye, but if you do, we'll keep going. <laughs> He's just going to get part of your money. So mm. they were rules, but they weren't actually enforced. The referee was under strict instruction, do not stop the fight unless someone <laughs> taps out. And so when it started off, it was style against style. It was so rudimentary. It was bare knuckle. Uh, Hoist came in wearing his jiu-jitsu gi, as we said, Art Jimison with one glove. No one knew what to expect. And in the very first fight, uh, Taylor Tooley's tooth got kicked out. It landed in the third row somewhere, landed on one of the commentators. And that's basically how the UFC started. Hoist took on the first, uh, took out the first two UFCs and then number four and won the first couple without throwing a single strike. Yeah. So over time, jiu-jitsu has proved itself in the UFC to probably be one of the best sort of martial arts bases to have. Obviously, the UFC now, you have to be well-rounded in every martial art. It's, um, it's no longer style versus style. Everybody's no, incorporating all exactly different styles. Right. Into and guys like, um, guys like GSP, George St. Pierre, was probably one of the first guys to really come through and not be a wrestler or a karate fighter a specialist, or a jiu-jitsu yeah. guy. A specialist, yeah. But that well-rounded martial artist. And these days, that's what you see. You do have guys, you know, take Damien Meyer or Rodolfo Vieira, who are elite grapplers. You have guys come in with... Or, Holly Holmes probably a great example of someone who's got a fairly like stri- striking record, um, but if if you're deficient in any of those areas in the cage, hmm. you're, you're going to be found out pretty quickly. So that's what sort of led to the the, the worldwide phenomenon of jiu-jitsu, and hmm. it has expanded probably exponentially into Australia more recently. Where, where does Australia sit on the world stage at the moment when it comes to jiu-jitsu? We it's, it's fairly, it still feels fairly new here to the people that have been in it a long time, like yourself mm. and your coaches, and whatever. It's, they've been doing it forever, but the explosion has been recent. Oh, it really has. And like you said, it's been so exponential. I think the first competition I went to in 2006, there were maybe 150 people there. And the whole, so there's a belt system in Jiu Jitsu. Is that like, including the crowd? That <laughs> the only people in the crowd were oh. the people who were fighting. Right. <laughs> and, their and maybe the occasional <laughs> terrified mum. Yeah, yeah. So there were no kids' divisions. Everyone's walking around, tap out shirts. No know. crazy dads screaming at their kids from the sidelines. To no, choke. Oh, right. no, you weren't there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ruby 
his head off. <laughs> no, it wasn't like that. No. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so and, and in those days, as we said, there was a, a belt system and a blue belt, which is the the first time you achieve a belt. I hold back on all my blue belt jokes. <laughs> blue belts belt. cop a really bad rap in jiu-jitsu. It's, it's, it's generally the belt where most people sort of get to a certain level and then they drop out. So I think they pay out on all the blue belts to encourage them to keep coming so that they can get their next belt. Mm-hmm. But they cop it. Blue yeah. belts cop it. More than white belts. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to keep the white belts. Well, that's true. Yeah. But, but yeah, so there are about 150 people there and the whole competition would stop for a blue belt match. And now you go to even a local tournament in Sydney. People's, people throw throw stuff at the blue belt matches now, don't they? We do. We throw <laughs> everything we possibly can at the blue belt matches. Uh, plenty of shade, that's for sure. Yeah. But you'll see upwards of a thousand competitors some uh, yep. a competition we we're at last year wow. down in melbourne had i think 1300 competitors and there's legit black belts over here guys who are on the world stage and five or six people are watching them because little johnny's over here competing or what have you so it's really grown massively when i started there were maybe four or five schools in sydney mm-hmm. uh, i didn't start till i moved up to the central coast but now there's four or five schools in some suburbs. Yeah, it's it, crazy. It really is incredible what, how much it's Why grown. did you get into jiu-jitsu? You, you've done a bit of other martial arts previously. Why, why did you get into jiu-jitsu? What, what was the thing and what, that what, made what, you... What did you do previously as well? So I actually did a little bit of capoeira oh. for, for seven or eight years. Yeah, I was a 115 kilo bat white boy who could backflip. Everybody knows Capoeira from Tekken and Tekken, Eddie, Eddie Gordo, shout out. <laughs> and um, only the strong, Eddie one Gordo, of the greatest yeah. movies ever made that no one's seen. Mm. But yeah, so I did Capoeira for a number of years. I was, I was actually really enthralled with uh, the Brazilian culture and that kind of thing. But I did Capoeira because even though I was pretty big, I wanted the flexibility and the agility. I thought you said you, you wanted to be good at breakdancing. Well, there's that too. There's that too. And, um, and that was really cool. But when I moved up to the Central Coast, I always wanted to do Jiu-Jitsu. I think I, I watched that first UFC. It came out in 93. I didn't kind of catch it till 98 or so. Um, and when I moved up the Central Coast, uh, Luke Beston was there, who, who was directly under Hoist Gracie, which is pretty cool. And I, I just didn't have any motivation to change when I was in Sydney. There was, as I said, there were very few schools. The nearest school was a, a, probably about a 45-minute drive away. I was already in Capoeira. I thought, yeah, I'll get it there down the line. I wish I had have started when I first found it because it'd be amazing. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, they, what do they say? The best time to start something's 10 years ago. Yeah. The second best time is now. So when I started it, um, it was all because of that UFC one and, and what I saw Hoist do. So to be graded to black belt under him is actually pretty surreal. It's weird. And pretty yeah. rad, yeah. Yeah. I, I, remember, I remember meeting him when mm. he came to our academy. That was, that was very surreal. But for you, you'd, you'd met him previously. What other interactions have you had with the Gracie family? You've, been, you've actually been over to, you went over to Miami to get your black belt directly yep. from Hoist. Yep. Um, and, you, and you're tightly connected through, through Luke and, mm-hmm. the, and the Gracie family. So how many of them have you met? Have you trained with all of them? Or? Yeah, look, it's into double figures. It's a very, it's a very big family. Yeah. People say the name Gracie and it is jiu-jitsu royalty. It's martial arts royalty. There's no doubt about that. But that's, that's across three and four generations of, of a family tree that's, that's really broad. So I've been fortunate enough, and one of the things I love about jiu-jitsu is, and, and MMA to a huge degree as well, is just how connected it still is to its grassroots. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people are watching The Last Dance at the moment, watching that basketball documentary oh, with, yeah. <laughs> uh, with Jordan, and I'll be going home tonight to watch it. But the idea of playing pickup basketball with Michael Jordan is just, it's unheard of. Yeah. It doesn't happen. You know, um, 
the idea of playing cricket with Shane Ward. It's mm. not going to happen. You know, even even the but now even I know you guys are work with Rob Whitaker. There's opportunities to train with him. Yeah. There's opportunities to. I mean, he's such a humble guy. He gets into local competitions and just goes there. And it's not oh, he's UFC champ Rob Whitaker. It's he's a martial artist who's mm. working on his craft and and really really humble. And doesn't matter if he wins or he loses. He's there getting better. Yeah. And so with meeting the Gracie family and a lot of the other extended jiu-jitsu legends sort of thing, um, the coolest part of it has been just, yeah, being able to interact with them on that one-on-one level, learning as much as you can, but then afterwards, you know, going out for dinner and having a feed or whatever it might be to realise that, hang on, these guys are... This guy's literally like a legend, you know? Exactly right. And you see these people who are huge when there's a camera on or when there's a crowd... And they might actually be really shy in the background. Mm. You know, I've sat with world champions who would, would wouldn't even look at you out of confidence or a lack thereof. You know, it certainly wasn't arrogance, but they were really quiet, shy, humble guys. Mm. But when you put them on the mats, they're world beaters. Flip the switch, yeah. Mm. I heard um, Hoist Gracie was. Um, they were trying to make him fight uh, Mike Tyson once upon a time. It's a bit of a. I don't know if it's a true story or not, but apparently. Uh, yeah, there were, there were a lot of talks back in the day. So the Gracie Challenge is a bit of a thing in jiu-jitsu, or it was a bit of a thing. Uh, and basically back when... So when Horian brought the UFC to world prominence, a lot of it was about promoting the martial art. Mm. And the Gracie Challenge was this standing idea where, okay, if you think you can beat us, come on down and try it. Or they would just rock up on someone else's dojo and... And proved that they were better. Right. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard Mike Tyson actually accepted because he was such a savage. But then yeah. Have the, you... the sport of boxing were like, yeah, you're going to destroy the sport if you lose because yeah. you're the baddest man on the yeah. planet right now. So yeah. I've, I have heard some of those rumors. I'm not sure exactly. You know, that's that's a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, certainly. Cool story, though. To see that. Yeah, definitely. And, and like, like a lot of sports, this, well, I shouldn't say like a lot of sports, jiu-jitsu and MMA are really new. Even hmm. in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, even though it's sort of, it's got its roots in the 1920s and 30s, it came to world prominence in the 90s. That's only sort of 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, so these sports grew up on the internet. And I remember when I was on the underground or shirt of all these forums in the late 90s, early 2000s, and, and everyone would be sitting there going, oh, Mike Tyson's no chance, you know. Anyone who's done more than three jiu-jitsu classes is going to take him down and armbar him and rah, rah, rah. But, but as we said before, like... Yeah. Fast forward that's to a, now and, you know, Conor McGregor's fighting me with it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Or rewind a few years ago and yeah. James Tony's against Randy Couture. So yeah. it's... people. F- a lot of people forget about that fight. A lot of people probably because it went so quickly. Very quick. <laughs> Randy shot in for a low single low and it was all over from up. there. <laughs> but he's a smart guy. He <laughs> yeah. knew that, you know, to stand and fight in front of a boxer and throw hands with them is silly. Just like going to the ground with someone who's an expert in jiu-jitsu is, is probably pretty silly. There are guys who try it out and there's, there's a lot of jiu-jitsu fighters who jump in the cage and want to prove their hands. But I kind of think, you know, stick to your strengths where you can. One thing I love about jiu-jitsu, different to a lot of other martial arts, is it's a bloody long process to get your black belt. And there is no – you can't wing it to black belt. Like you can't – like, I don't know. Well, I I actually did a a little bit of martial arts. um, And no martial artist. But um, when I was a kid, I did some karate, right? Yeah, cool. And they were like... Uh, Did you get a... Sh- oh, no, they were these little kids. <laughs> Did you get a stripe the first day you rocked up? Well, they were like uh, 10-year-olds with black belts. And I was like, what the hell these kids got black belts? And so <laughs> like already. And then later on in life, when I was in high school, I did judo. I'm like, okay, get my black belt in a couple of years. But judo is a long process as well. Yeah, so yeah judo is super legit. Very, very similar yeah. to jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But talk a bit, like, a bit about the 
belt process? Like what, what, what does each belt represent? Yeah, so on, on average, it can take 10, 12 years to get your black belt. And, 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 I guess it, and how often are you training per week to get to, get to that level? probably three to five times a week as it averages out. I think what happens with a lot of people is when they're, they're a white belt, they'll come once a week, maybe twice a week. Then that jumps to seven times a week when they get the bug. Yeah. You know, then um, a blue belt, apparently you don't train at all. Well, this is good. This is actually going to be my next question. It's like, what, what, what goes through your head? And I've experienced mm. my first day through to where I am now. It's not, I haven't been in the journey anywhere near as long as you, but you definitely go through a lot of mental changes and you definitely look back at who you were in the beginning. And sometimes you can cringe and I cringe a lot. Um, so you actually, this is what I love about jujitsu. It's not just a, um, it's not just a martial art or something to go to lose weight. Like you're learning so much more than a martial art. Mm. You're, you're evolving as a person. It's an ego crusher or an ego sort of leveler. But yeah, tell us a bit of where your headspace is at each belt because I think people will find that fascinating. Yeah, look, on my first night, I remember, and I went in there and everyone likes to say, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly humble on this and that. And, and like I said, I'd been watching UFC and mixed martial arts and the like well before I went into it. So I kind of, I wanted to have my ass handed to me by a 70 kilo guy. I wanted to buy into this idea that you know, I was 105 kilos at the time, pretty big guy, fairly strong, fairly athletic. I wanted to buy into this martial art where um, a littler guy could defeat a, a bigger guy. And sure enough, I was tapping within 30 seconds to something that I, I didn't even know what it was. So it was mm. an omoplata. And I remember, and this is the very first time I, I trained 15 years ago, I remember saying to the guy, I said to him, man, like my hand was just stuck in there and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> and he's just sat there and he's looking, he's going, yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> that's the, the point. The <laughs> hand was stuck there. And he put it there. Yeah. You know? And then that's one of the things I really love about it is it's so indirect. It's yeah. so indirect. It's not take this arm and put it over here and do this and do that. It's, it's almost, you guys were talking about chess uh, yeah. last week. And, and you a chess how, fan, a chess yeah, fan, yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so 2,000 calories, I still don't know who the strongman Norwegian chess <laughs> but, um Magnus Carlsen, he actually just lost since our last podcast. I saw that, yeah. He lost to a 12-year-old. You did, you did. Yeah. Well, that sounds like my first jiu-jitsu lesson, oh, yeah. losing to a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> I know him. Yeah. Um, actually, there's a we've gone off topic a little bit here, but there's a guy named Josh Watskin who was a chess grandmaster at, at quite a young age, and he's also a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Oh, wow. Trains out of Marcelo Garcia's academy and has a lot to do with that. Mm. And he takes it very much from that cerebral point of view. And a lot of people look at jiu-jitsu as, as a form of human chess. Well, and, yeah, martial arts... Um, and Because uh, um, of a bit of a Miyamoto Musashi fan, like if you study a lot of his fights... How he wins isn't necessarily because of his better skill or better, you know, um, physicality. It's a lot of it is strategy. It's strategy. That's exactly right. As we said a little bit earlier, you know, mm. if, if you sure, plenty of people can go in and win a fight or something like that based on based on their physical traits, based on being bigger, faster, stronger, whatever it is. I don't know. I think if you're a big guy who's going out and picking fights with smaller guys, there's there's a word for that. Mm. But anyway. Um, but with jiu-jitsu, what you're doing is you're learning two things. On one hand, you're learning how to deal with that attacker in the street who is untrained. Mm. And that's where the self-defense aspect of things come in and, and things they're likely to do. You're, you're learning how to, how to read body language, how to interpret the way someone's standing or how someone's moving. Okay, this is, this is what they may do. So here we go. I've got a reaction ready to go for that. And then you've got the sporting scene and jiu-jitsu there, which is about using your jiu-jitsu against someone else who knows jiu-jitsu. Mm. 
And that's where it becomes the chess match. And that's also where it becomes really interesting with the whole belt system. Yeah. Uh, because there's some people out there who are getting... BJ Penn got his black belt in three and a half, four years. Mm. And there's a few guys out there. And I think that as we increase our access to world-class trainers, as the world becomes smaller, um, with instructionals, with the internet, with all the virtual technology that people are using these days, um, it's a lot easier to learn jujitsu. As I said, the reason I didn't take it up earlier is because I had to drive 45 minutes to the nearest academy. How frustrating is that though? As a coach, you know a white belt walks into the academy, they, they flop around for the first, however, couple of months, they're super keen. They start coming every night. They start getting really keen. They get that bug, like you say. And then they discover YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and they discover all the techniques in the world. Yep. Um, how do you, as a coach, sort of... We've been through this we've too, through so this. I know this story well. It is how do, how do you sort of pull back and just say, look, one step at a time, yeah. grasshopper? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes people have to learn for themselves. Yeah. And I think that... A lot of the time, experience is where people learn the most. Hmm. So just like we said, the, the biggest strength, in my opinion, of jiu-jitsu is the fact that you're actually experiencing your life sparring. You're, you're seeing what works, what doesn't work, what's pressure test, what doesn't. It's easy enough, and we all remember back at school. Your teacher can stand up there and say, don't do this, do do that, otherwise this will happen. Yeah. But we were all teenage boys once, once upon a time, I'm assuming. Hmm. Um, 70 years ago for me. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. And... People have got to learn from their own experiences. So initially when I first started my academy, yeah, it was frustrating. You see people who sort of show all the right signs early on. Oh, this is, this is a really humble person here to learn, really gets the idea that it's about technique. And somewhere along the line, and it happens with a, with a lot of sports, it happens with a lot of things, hmm. they become just enough of an expert to think that they know enough that they can go out there and learn on their own. And hmm. the reality is that takes a lot more than that you need to be able to yeah there's so many resources out there but how do you know what's good and how do you know what's not i mean you know you guys in the in the area of sports nutrition and that kind of thing hmm. you walk into a supplement shop for the first time and there's 55 brands of protein and all these thermogenics and fat burners and the like how does that guy go into the gym for the first time know what works and what doesn't so we just goes, go straight to massage i would go straight to Masashi, <laughs> but they great, go to the flashiest packaging yeah it's true and yeah. so you jump on youtube and they go to the flashiest packaging there's um there's a psychological phenomenon called the dunning kruger effect. Exactly. as a teacher i'm sure you will worse in it but you know it it's relates to how much you know about something and your confidence about it so mm. you know when you start off you don't know much and you have low confidence as you know a little bit, your confidence skyrockets, but you still don't know that much. As you learn more, your confidence in the topic actually drops because yeah. you actually know how little you actually understand about it. Yeah. And I think jiu-jitsu is definitely good for that. It is definitely good to teach you that process because you can walk in with all the confidence in the world. And you actually get... like Jiu-jitsu relates to a lot of other sports. A lot of AFL players, a lot of rugby league teams are employing jiu-jitsu coaches to help with their wrestling and all that sort of stuff. So you do actually get a lot of footy guys or ex-footy guys or even ex-bodybuilders and ex-powerlifters yeah. that walk through into the academy thinking, I'm the biggest, baddest, strongest guy here. I'm going to smash everyone. Yeah. And I've seen it. And I've seen it time and time again. And probably a really good example is your son, <laughs> Connor, who is – how old's Connor? 13? Just turned 14. Just turned 14. We have these little challenge matches at our, at our jiu-jitsu academy. And uh, I, don't, I think the only person that Connor, 14-year-old boy, has lost to, he's beaten 
grown, fully grown men over a hundred kilos. <laughs> the only guy he's lost to is his dad. What? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you definitely see those guys walk in with a lot of bravado, and I was the same. Yeah. I came in super heavy, like just spent a lot of time bodybuilding and super strong. And I come in, try use. You think you can use that strength and smash everyone? It you you realize your first class strength means zero yeah well <laughs> that's actually something i've been noticing a lot um a lot of powerlifters are getting into jiu-jitsu mm, yeah um well you know there's actually a lot of parallels between powerlifting and jiu-jitsu yeah. right um even though even over the years you know it's this spot that's been around forever but only recently it's becoming mm-hmm. a big deal but um a lot of powerlifters after you know the lifting career is over you want to try something else because you know you can't just training for powerlifting is very intense um then they go do some martial arts like jiu-jitsu instantly humbled and some of the best um strength coaches in the world are doing that yeah starting from scratch and yeah and it's, it's very interesting and look jiu-jitsu is not just not just a martial art or a sport for strong powerlifters ex-bodybuilders footy players some of the best jiu-jitsu people that i've seen are the are what society would classify as nerds yeah and also women women the women at our academy have to deal with we got a we got a lot of big guys mm. in our academy right Women have to deal with 100 plus kilo guys on a nightly basis and it, it they can't go strength to strength. Mm. So their technique just gets sharpened to a point and your wife Rachel is a perfect example who's a brown belt. Mm. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, they become that efficient with their technique that mm. they can deal with these 100 plus kilo strong guys and and it's it's almost it's awesome to watch. Mm. I love watching the new guy come in. As much as we embrace all the new people and come on in and learn this martial art, it's it's so good to watch the women and the younger kids yeah. wrestle with these footy guys and the, and they're sort of almost left like <laughs> in amazement. Like yeah. what what just happened to me? How did I just get choked? Or do you know what? It's funny you mentioned that. You asked me a little bit earlier about the Gracies that, that I've trained with. Now I've trained with a one guy who was a six time world champion. Right at about. I can't remember what, what weight class he is. He's somewhere around 70 kilos. Um, I'm 100 kilos. I've been training for 15 years. And some. <laughs> you feel yeah, like you're about 150 to grapple with, but yep. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, and so I'm pretty experienced. I know what I'm doing. But there's levels to this, just like powerlifting. You know, there's guys mm. who are going to live on, you know, achieve well on the Australian stage. And then you go overseas and see the guys who train at Westside Barbell. Yeah. It's a whole different... Well, Aussies do all right, but... <laughs> Aussies do quite well. Yeah. You know, there's a few um, a few going really well yeah. at the moment. But it's there's, there's levels to everything. Of and course. the most challenging role I've ever had was with that 70 kilo guy. Because it felt like I was fighting water. I'd go somewhere, he's there. I'd go to frame off him, he's somewhere else. You know, it's just... It's, it was just such a pure expression of technique. And he wasn't being arrogant. He was, he was probably going at about 30% of his capacity. But he just, he knew what was going to happen and he was going to get it there. And, and like we said about strategy, there was, there was not a thing I could do about it, you know. And it's so, even when you've been training for a long time, if, if you really love it, there's, just, there's nothing better than rolling with something like that and just seeing the levels that exist. Back to the belt system. <laughs> so what are we, what are we, what's going through You're your mind? Are you asking for a purple belt? No, I'm definitely not. <laughs> Six months. <laughs> what's going on at each headspace? Like rewind, rewind the clock back to yeah. white, blue, purple, brown. What's going on and what are you learning? Not from a technique standpoint. I'm more interested in the mental and about the... About yourself. About yourself. Yeah, look, I think 
It does vary for different people. It really does, and it depends on whether it's the sort of school that's a competitive school. Um, at some schools, black belt just means you can tap people out. You know, at other schools, it means you've got a full understanding of the original self-defense curriculum and how to teach that to anybody. At black, it's not like uh, other martial arts where there's a standardized belt system. But I guess to, to what you're saying, um, and the Dunning-Kruger principle is so applicable here, I think to start backwards, black belt is where, and it sounds cliched, but it's true, when you realise how much you don't know mm. and when you do realise that there really are levels to this. Uh, and and it's, it sounds lame to say that's the beginning of the journey, but it really is, and that's when you start having fun. Because up until there, for a lot of people, it's like, I want to get the belt, I want to get the belt, I want to get the belt. And that, that's a good you point you raise because people can get fixated on that belt and mm. especially, I know, at white belt level, the, f the first thing you want to do is get off white belt. Like, this, mm. I don't want to be a white belt. Let's just get me off this thing. Yeah. And eventually over time, I'm not going to say the belts become irrelevant, but they become less, they're less to the forefront of your mind. You, yeah. You, yeah. I, I think without saying that, I mean, there are some places that get heavily criticised for having belts based on time periods. Every six months, you're going to get a stripe. Every two and a half years, you're going to get a belt. On this day in December, you're going to be a black belt. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm not to say that's right or wrong. It, it's not the way we operate. Um, but I think that to a degree, a belt reflects your commitment to jujitsu, how mm -hmm. much time you've put in, how much effort, how much energy. Um, an analogy that I like to use, uh, and I get this from Hoyce a lot and, and from Hori and his brother, and it comes back to Mike Tyson again. And they said that, if Mike Tyson walks into a karate tournament, he's going to win. He, he's going to beat everyone. He's going to knock everyone out. He's going to walk away with that little plastic karate medal or the trophy or the, or the sword or whatever it is you win for winning that tournament. Is he a black belt in karate? Does he know the carters? Does he know the philosophy behind mm. it? Does he know the movements? No, he's a good fighter. He's an excellent fighter. But he's not necessarily everything that epitomizes karate. Yeah. And I think with jiu-jitsu, it's about coming to terms with that mindset of jiu-jitsu. When you're a white belt, you probably come from something else. You've probably come from football or from soccer or a lot of people come across from other martial arts. And it's almost about unlearning. Mm. It's about, to me, a blue belt is someone who gets a basic understanding of what jiu-jitsu is. You know, they, it doesn't mean they're a world killer. It's, it's the first belt, mm. you know. It's about, okay, I understand that this is about not using my strength. I understand that this is about being relaxed in difficult positions. I understand that this is about being calm and using leverage and finding my way to a good position. Can I apply it some of the time? Yeah, all of the time? Definitely not. You know, if there was anyone who could apply it all of the time, uh, everyone would just do exactly what they did. Hmm. And know? Blue Belt's also the level you can go out and get sponsored by every um, nutrition brand out there. And, and as, um, yeah. as long as you've got your own blog. Yeah, you've got to have your own very, blog. Very, important. Yep. All right. And yep. that's and when you start referring to yourself as a martial artist. Yeah. Yep. And you're <laughs> yeah. A, you're a social media influencer at blue belt level. It all happens. It no. does. <laughs> it does. And as long as you keep your stories up to date, you can do that. So, uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, no. But yeah, that's why blue belts cop the most shit. <laughs> it, it is. It becomes it becomes that point of you know just enough to be dangerous, and that's yeah. that's not a bad thing because everyone who got their purple belt was a blue belt at one point in time yeah everyone who got their brown belt or their black belt was a blue belt at one point in time and of course you told me you skipped yours well i tried <laughs> i was actually on it for quite a while um but the difference now is people can put themselves out there so much mm. like when i was as i said when i was training that first competition i was at um the whole tournament stopped for a blue belt match 
Mm. And it was a big deal. That meant that you'd been training jujitsu for two or three years. You know, now in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Mm. If you know two years of jujitsu when everyone else knows two days of jujitsu, oh, sure enough, you're a god. Yeah. You know, <laughs> in your own mind and in your own tiny little community. Um, but nowadays, there's less of that because there's so many people, there's thousands of people doing jujitsu in Australia. Yeah. You know, I couldn't even guess how many. Well, we so were we actually just, looking at some numbers about what's the most popular sports and things, just, you know, Musashi marketing stuff and yeah. martial arts and... Probably a lot of that is jiu-jitsu. It's yeah. one of, yep. if not the most popular sport. Absolutely. It is, definitely. There's yeah. so many people getting into it. There's so many. Yeah, so at Blue Belt, you're dangerous enough to... Um, <laughs> to you, You're probably proficient enough to be comfortable with some untrained opponent. You can hurt someone else, but you'll probably hurt yourself. Yes. <laughs> that way. <laughs> the next belt there from, from there on is Purple Belt. Purple Belt. Purple Belt's fun. So it's a fun belt. Purple Belt's when you, when you get over that little hump, you realise that you know a bit. But you also realise that there's still a lot you don't know. Yeah, you know, right. And you realise that there's aspects of this that I want to be part of my game. How do you how do you come how do you come to that realisation at Purple Belt? Like this, obviously, there's still more to learn. This or this is one of those things mm -hmm. about this sport. You, you can't learn everything. You forget more than you learn, actually. But um, at Purple Belt, like, is it is it that you're getting tapped continuously by brown and black belt? What is it that makes you realise ah? Oh, there's actually so much, like I'm not even close to being at the end of this journey. There is no end. Yeah, there's no end. I, th I think we were talking about experience before and learning from experience. And I think that Purple Belt's really one of those things, getting through that, and people talk about the Blue Belt Blue, Blue, oh, sorry, Blue Belt Blues, say that three times fast. <laughs> it's one of those things where they're really high, they get their belt, oh great, I can smash all the white belts in the academy and then I go and visit a friend's academy or I, you know, Oh, I, I realise that those guys who've been training for five years, you know, those times I tapped them, oh, maybe they let me because all of a sudden they're a little bit, they're a little bit harder to beat now. What's going on? Has my jujitsu got worse? Oh, they weren't really trying. Mm. They were, they were teaching me. They were letting me get to good positions. They were like when dad lets you hit the cricket ball over the <laughs> fence when you're a kid. It's not that you're a better cricketer than dad. It's that he's nurturing your way through. And that happens a lot in jujitsu, and a lot of like white and blue belts don't realise it, right? You get. You get to certain like good positions with a, with a black belt and you, you might even get sort of almost get to the position where you're about to submit them and then they escape and you think, yeah, I almost almost submitted a black belt. <laughs> Little do you know, they've let you get to that position just to work on their escapes and work on their different entries into different things. So, yeah, there, there's definitely some or evolving and learning. Submission. Or you, you know, do. Sometimes you do get that submission. Sometimes it's mm, there's rare. a really... <laughs> really specialized element and, and i think that's part of it as well yeah. you see a lot of blue belts on the scene who are really good at one or two things and if if no one's got the answer for that they excel yeah well it's not paper scissors rock you know like maybe 99 times out of 100 a black belt will win but sometimes yeah something might exactly fall right. into your and not only that yeah if, if you've got a rock paper beats it every time you yeah. know but the thing with jujitsu is when you've got a rock I can work out the next technique that's going to beat that rock. Yeah. And it might not be paper. I might have a diamond hammer. Yeah, exactly. You know? Wow, that's a weird analogy. Yeah. But it went so too it deep. Works. Is that <laughs> Minecraft? It could be. Mm. It could be. Yeah. Uh, but it works because people are constantly problem solving. This is where it becomes like human chess. Yeah. You've got a, you've got a question for me. You know, you've got a technique that I don't know the answer to. You'll, you'll get me with that technique a few times. I'll work out an answer. And that way we're both going to get better together because once I work out the answer, you need to propose the next question. And then so it almost becomes like a physical dialogue where you, you attack, you counter, you recounter, on and on. 
And I think as you get towards that purple belt, you understand more about those recounters. You understand that idea of, okay, it's not just if I do this, then that happens. It becomes a lot more of a flow. You've got to be a few steps ahead. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And look, what well, is purple considered sort of the, the start of the more senior ranked belts? Because I know I look at a purple belt and I think, okay, they're, they, they're respected. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, if you take that line that a black belt's going to have trained jiu-jitsu for 10 years or so, uh, and, and we said that time's shortening, but a purple belt's probably been on the mats for a good five, hmm. you know, four, five, six years. And in a lot of martial arts, like you were saying earlier, three and four years getting you a black belt. So when you've been doing anything for three or four years, three or four times a week, you're going to be good at it. Mm. You know? And that's, that's the thing with black belt as well, is just turn up. Just keep turning up. And unless you're a seriously special person, the more you do it, you're going to get better. Yeah. You know? Why do people get hooked on this sport? It's almost like... You're going to hate me for this analogy, but it's almost like the way CrossFit people talk about CrossFit, right? The cult. It's almost like that. Yeah. It's almost oh, like that. Sometimes it's worse. The sometimes family. Worse. The family is a better analogy. But, but, you know what it is. But yeah. you, you, like I had like three or four attempts at, at, at starting yeah. jiu-jitsu and eventually you just get the bug and then that's it. Without it, you're lost. Mm -hmm. And we've, we're seeing that at the moment with, with a lot of people in, in jiu-jitsu, especially being in isolation – People that are hooked on jiu-jitsu, they're not rocking up to training once a week and then they do it on the weekend at the sport. This is, they're training every single day. This is seven days a week. So you go from someone like a black belt that might have been training for 10, 15, 20 years every day and now they haven't been able to train at all. Mm. That's going to have some serious psychological effects. Yeah, it really is. And it's funny, you know, you asked me a while ago what were the reasons I got into jiu-jitsu and one of them was because I saw in the first UFC. But another one was, like, a lot of us are pretty physical when we're growing up. Whatever your sport was, you want a way. And, and I think part of our society is you need a physical outlet, yeah. whether that's lifting, whether that's playing footy, whether that's doing CrossFit, whether it's jiu-jitsu. So in part of it, it, it becomes that outlet for a lot of people, that physical outlet, that mental outlet as well to, you know, you've had a tough day at work or whatever. And when you've got someone right in front of you who wants to choke you out, hmm. you can't be thinking about whether or not you've got that report done at five o'clock. You've got to be thinking about where their hand is and what you can do to survive. Yeah. Um, but also I think it is that sense of camaraderie. You know, mm. I, I kind of, I shy away from that term, that family term, but, but it becomes very, very similar to that, doesn't it? And, you know, you, you see it at our academy, you see it at all academies. It's about finding the right fit. Mm. for you and these people because what you're sharing is so i mean it's basically an agreement that when i tap you i'm you're going to let go because otherwise you've simulatedly killed me or broken my leg mm. <laughs> you know um so there's a certain level of trust and that physical contact as well as something that a lot of people really do miss especially when we're so isolated um you know being other and there's psychological studies that show that physical contact you know if you hug someone for 20 seconds you're automatically going to feel better and your body's mm. going to release all those hormones, that kind of thing. Jiu-Jitsu, even though you're, you're trying to hug them in a submission, it's a lot like that. And still, still intimate. It really, it really is. You know? So I think that's a big part of it is being able to, one, see your friends on a daily basis, mm. you know, and two, be able to get that physicality out there with other people. I love lifting. You know, I've, been lifting. I've been lifting too much while we've been off because it's pretty much all I can do. Mm. And, and I really do love it. I, I like the different goals, the focus, you know, Henry Rollins, 
200 pounds is always 200 pounds yeah you know what you can do in comparison to that but that's not interacting with another person yeah that's not it's interacting with the barbell yeah. it's interacting with the barbell yeah that's exactly right so i think that's what people are missing the most mm. you know it's not even so much getting their jujitsu better it's not even the martial art itself it's that outlet and what they get from it socially and emotionally. We've been doing a few sort of classes online at mm. home. It's not the same. No. It's nowhere near the same. You no. need to be at the academy. You need to be around the people. You need to learn from your coach that you're used to and you're comfortable with and you understand how they teach. It is, it's so tough. Yeah. And look, who knows when it's going to be open again. I heard someone say this morning that gyms aren't reopening until maybe even September. Mm. I, I'm hoping it's going to be quicker than that. Mm. Have you heard anything? No, look, I think the reality about this whole thing is no one knows. It, mm. It's all speculation. Mm. Probably anyone? the worst sport, though, for social distancing. Yeah. You're literally this far from other people's faces while they're doing this. <laughs> Straight into your face. And we've got a few of those at our academy yeah, that definitely right. breathe deep right into your ear and your face. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you see people at the moment. I mean, the NRL's looking at getting back into things. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about AFL going back. Premier League's looking like going back soon. Mm. In England. They're all in talks. Um, but I think what people forget is they're multi, multi-million dollar operations that have, one, they've got um, a lot of advocates for them, you yeah. know, two, they've got a lot of money, and three, let's face it, it's, it's give, the people their, give the people what they want, give them their entertainment. You know, that's, yeah. for a lot of people out there who maybe aren't as physically active as a lot of us, they identify with their local football team. Yeah. You know, they're, they're Roosters fans or Rabbitohs fans or Bulldogs fans or whatever it might be. So I think that when they bring that back, that might actually serve to help people's mental health a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. With jiu-jitsu, it's very, very different. You know, in terms of the physical contact, it's probably the same as rugby league. You know, but yeah. people out there aren't really going to care. They're not going to tune in to watch you and I. You know, they're not going to sit down on Friday night with their families just to watch Grant and Ross wrestle. They should. They yeah, should. It's, Definitely it's they should. It's a sight to see. Jay would, but no one else would. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Watch me get choked out about 100 times <laughs> in a row. 99 out of 100. Yeah. <laughs> but I think 100. And a lot of jiu-jitsu people are getting really worked up about it. They're, they're kind of, well, if they can go back, we can go back. And just because they are going back doesn't mean it's right. Mm. Not, not from a moral perspective, not from a physical contact perspective. I mean, it came out in the news just today that a couple of those league players were were up in Taree on a camping trip and, and riding their bikes on the beach and all that kind of stuff. And, okay, are they going to get away with it? Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Is it the right thing to do? It's probably not. Mm. You know, jiu-jitsu, it's a lot of close contact. Could we get back to it? Maybe, maybe not. Is it the right thing to do? Probably not quite yet. It, it can. I think why a lot of people are stinging to get back to jiu-jitsu is because you do train so frequently. Yeah. And it, but it's just more. It's more than that. It's a mental thing. It's a yeah. mental health yeah. check for you or a mental – like it therapy. definitely helps with my mental health. Like yeah. when I was younger, I'm biggest and still now probably, sometimes I can be a bit of a hothead. Jiu-jitsu is my way of getting out yeah. my yeah, aggression in a controlled environment where I can't act like a absolute – well, I can probably have on certain times, but <laughs> yeah, you're you're getting that aggression out without. I guess that's the you know the whole mental aspect of jujitsu is not yeah. just aggression; it's aggression and calm yeah. at the same time. So I'm missing it. I'm edgy. You probably see me like on this podcast. I can't sit still. Like I need to be doing yeah. something, and I'm missing it a and lot. It's funny though. I think it was um, Hicks and Gracie said something along the lines of jujitsu is ultimately the art of being comfortable in an uncomfortable position. Hmm. And certainly from a self-defense perspective, that's something that we push. We push the idea that, okay, if 
if someone's going to attack you and your first response is panic, then you're going to be in real trouble. Yeah. But if someone's going to attack you and your first response is, I do this three times a week or four times a week, you're going to be much better off. And that's yeah. where we look at the whole idea of, and, and people who talk about these martial arts being holistic and being, being everything for everyone, no, it's good for a lot of people. Hmm. But it's, it's not everything to everyone. There's plenty of people who go through the world without ever, you know, punching someone, kicking anyone, wrestling anyone, and they get through life all right. Yeah. But there's a lot of us who we need to do that in some way, shape or form, you know. But you take what's happening at the moment with the lockdown and all that kind of stuff. And I like to think that um, you go through some pretty tough times in jiu-jitsu. When you've got a 150-kilo guy on top of you and he's just sweating and dripping and not moving and holding you down, it's not a really cool place to be. Yeah. And then you realize, hang on, this is going to pass. This too shall pass. And it's the same at the moment. You know, there's some people, I'm lucky. I've got a great family set up. We get to do a little bit of jujitsu. Uh, I get to lift my weights. Not everyone's got that, no. but everyone's got something at home that they can hold on to. Everyone's got something. If you look for that comfort in that uncomfortable position, I think mm. it's going to be a lot easier to get through this. And that's an advantage that we've got. Now's yes. not a bad time. If you're actually doing jiu-jitsu to get all the other family members involved that might not have been involved, I'm, yep. I'm the same as you. I'm lucky my whole family trains. But, um, yeah, it's, now's the yeah. time. If you're doing jiu-jitsu or your wife or your husband's at home and they don't, start from yeah. the beginning with them. Work some stuff with them. Use yeah. them as a grappling dummy. Or And you're actually well, seeing that in a lot of academies yeah. where they're doing online Zoom lessons or they're doing something like that. Those, those same teachers who five years ago were all talking about how terrible it is to learn online <laughs> are all of a sudden huge advocates and we've been meaning to do this for such a long time. But a lot of people are getting their family involved. And that's actually... The reality is when we go back to normal, normal isn't going to be what we knew it was. No. It's going to be... I think people are already starting to use the phrase, the new normal. Yeah. You know, so we're already looking at ways to to bring family members in to make it so that we can get back there, and it's going to be a staged return. We're not going to go back on the first night and be face to face, chest to chest, you know, full on. Mm. It, it might be non contact. Now, how do you do non contact jujitsu? It's like playing rugby league without a ball. Yeah, mm. but you can. Hmm. You, there are things you can do, and because, like you were saying, Ross, that. It's so much more than just the physical. I think that the first day that we open up, we say, hey, you know what, guys? Maybe we can only do solo drills, but we're all in the same room. People are just going to flock hmm. because they've missed that. They haven't, they have missed the physical side of things, but they've just missed that contact. They've missed being in the same room with other people. And just this, I mean, we, used, we usually see each other five, six times I know. a week. And it's a weird on one night if we don't see each other. Yeah. Mm. And this is our first time seeing each other for probably a couple of months. I know. It's ridiculous. Well, I, read, I read something it, that... It feels, like, it feels weird that we're not going to roll now. Yeah. You so guys can hug up. Guess what this. we're doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nogi. Oh, getting these off the wall then. <laughs> well, Nogi, you just mentioned Nogi. So there is some different variations of Jiu-Jitsu. You've got the traditional sort of kimono yeah. or gi. Yeah. Um, and then like a, a, the latest trend, and we touched on this earlier in the podcast, is sport jiu-jitsu. A lot of it's taking place in what people in jiu-jitsu call no-gi. It's basically shorts and a, and a rash shirt. Yeah. What's the differences? Look, so no-gi is going to be a lot more similar to what people would expect to see from MMA. Um, in the gi, it's the traditional way of training that you've got cloth to hold on to and clothes to hold on to. And a lot of people sort of say, oh, yeah, but... But I'm not going to wrestle someone in pyjamas. They're not going to mm. be able to do these collar chokes. And I turn around and say to them, yeah, but if you're going to get in a self-defense position where someone else is not wearing any clothes at all, 
you've probably got to question a few of your life choices in the lead up to them. So, <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's also a tool. I know a lot of jujitsu maneuvers actually use the gi. Rely and, on the gi. Yeah. That's exactly right. And because of that, it can be a slower, more methodical, more systematic approach. It's a lot more. I don't think it's right to say it's more technical or more strategic, hmm. but it's a lot more methodical. I think you'd say. Um, and as a result of that, watching two really experienced grapplers in a gi, if you don't know what you're watching, it can be really, really boring. Mm. You don't know what you're looking for. There's Why is that guy lying between that other guy's legs? You know Why are they just holding onto each other's clothes? It looks like they're just cuddling. They haven't moved. It's almost like watching paint dry. It's like watching chess. It's like it's watching exciting chess. exciting to That's some exactly people. exactly right. <laughs> if you understand it, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's riveting. It's fascinating. But if you don't understand it, it's just weird people doing weird things. Yeah, you, you see that at the UFC a lot. As soon as the, as soon as it hits the ground, you've got yeah. your your standard fifty percent of the audience boo, yeah. stand them up. And it's just like no, yeah. now it's this is to where get it exciting. starts for us. Yeah. That's exactly, yeah, exactly right. And I think that as jujitsu sort of become a more commercial entity, that's where a lot of different organisations have come into play, and that's where the whole no gi thing really comes to the fore. I don't necessarily think no gi is, is bigger than it's ever been before. A lot of people think it is. I think it's just got a lot more exposure now. Yeah. Um, a, lo- a lot of the big opportunities. A lot of big comps with some money behind it tend to be no gi. And that's exactly right. It's where the money is at the moment. Yep. Why? Because casual fans can watch it. Hmm. You know, if you guys were sitting here watching a gi match, you know, you could probably understand a lot of it. You'd be sitting there going, you know, why are they hugging like that? You could almost argue that they're two different sports. They're not, but there's two different games really there's two different strategies and well, it's, definitely started it's like equipped fight. powerlifting and raw powerlifting yeah so it yeah. would be yeah. yeah you know powerlifting started off equipped with these squat suits and things mm-hmm. and now it's moved to something people can relate to a bench yeah, press yeah it's getting a lot closer yeah. back to raw and back in the day you, you had you do raw thing. don't you Darren yeah well um, raw with wraps which is actually the original raw because right. people think mm-hmm. you know sleeves wraps well I don't know What's raw? You should really squat naked without a belt. But yeah, yeah. look, there's <laughs> and in jujitsu as well, you've got your two crowds. It's probably the same in bodybuilding. It's like some people really gravitate towards the gi, and that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Some people purely no gi. Yeah. Some people enjoy both yeah. and play sort of enjoy both games. And we we do both at our academy, and I think most academies do yeah, now. Yeah, definitely. It's unless, almost the old school versus the new school. Yeah, yeah. it is. And unless you're competitive, I think that keeping a real balance yeah. is really cool. And I mean, you look at you look at powerlifters, the the guys who are training gear the guys who are training equipped are the guys who are going to compete equipped yeah and if they're training raw they're going to compete raw but the people out there who just lift because they want to get stronger or they lift because they want the aesthetics or they lift for whatever reason they're going to do whatever's going to get them towards their goals yeah now up until recently there was a huge argument that yeah you look at all the guys in the no gi who are winning well they started training in the gi and they've always trained in the gi and therefore gi is better but the reality is there weren't really guys out there who were training no gi specific, really. Yeah. They were training everything. So, of course, if you train five, six times a week, three in the gi, three no gi, against someone who only trains no gi but trains three times a week, of course you're going to win. Mm-hmm. You're training twice as much as them. But now what's happening is you are seeing specialists. You're seeing guys come through. Like You look in Australia, there's guys like Craig Jones, Lockie Giles, Jeremy Skinner. Shout out to Lockie Giles and, yeah, and his we, wife Liv, massage athletes. Yeah, and... And they're competing in no gi at the moment, but if you look at their history, they're excellent grapplers in the gi. They're phenomenal. But at the moment, there seems to be more opportunities in no gi. Mm. And if you're going to compete where there's opportunities and you're going to take those opportunities for, for all that you can, you'd be mad not to have a certain amount of specificity in your training. Mm. And yep. that means you look at Lockie, a lot of his train, training in the lead up to ADCC was wrestling focused. 
Now he's a jujitsu guy and there's a lot of crossover, but there's also a lot of difference. So training whatever you can to do to be the best at what you're doing makes a lot of sense. Mm. So if you're going to compete no gi, train no gi. It's, it's like many sports, you know, you got to specifically train for what you're trying to get better at. Um, one of the questions I ask about a lot of sports mm. is, you know, what's the balance between technique, physicality and psychology? And, you know, obviously it's very different for um, basically every single sport. Yeah. But I think for jujitsu in particular, technique is a very large part of it. You know, like um, look at look at any other sport, you know, you can almost uh, muscle your way out of a lot of things, yeah. you know, say rugby league, for example. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're big and strong, like you, you're going to do something on the field. Jiu-jitsu, you know, that can't always uh, get you out of a hole. You can't always bench press your way out of a yeah, situation. Yeah, that's exactly right. And sometimes, uh, I say to a lot of beginners when they come in, it's almost learning to train against your instincts. Hmm. You know, you say it's a really good example you give. You can't bench press your way out. If you've got someone on mount on top of you, and I think by now people who have seen the UFC understand what mount is. They're sitting, that old bully position, they're sitting on your chest, they're sitting on your belly. There's not a lot you can do. Yeah. You go and push them up, which is everyone's first instinct. You're giving up an armbar straight away. Yeah. You know, and that's where we were talking about the idea of self-defense jujitsu. If someone pushes you up, you're going to take that arm. Yeah. You know, when we're wrestling each other in the academy, there's no way if I'm on top of you, you're going to go boom because you know that that, that happens. So it becomes about strategy. Hmm. Uh, technique's super, super important. I think it's, it's about mentality as well. Hmm. Those guys, not everyone gets it. We were talking about you learn on your first night that it's not about strength. No, I've had, I've had people who train for two, three, four, even some guys who train for five years. That could be a really hard lesson, hmm. especially if you came through from another sport where physicality was so important. Where you rely on your physicality. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and it will get you a certain distance. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, we'd, we'd be ridiculous to say that this 50 kilo female will beat this 120 kilo bloke. Yeah. That's okay. Jiu-Jitsu is designed for smaller people to defeat larger people if there's a disparity in skill. Yeah. But, you know, for every uh, a couple of Heron and Hannah Grace, you kind of came up with the idea for every 10 kilos or so, that's worth about a belt. So mm. if you beat yourself up because a white belt taps you, but he's 140 kilos. Not going to happen. You're going to go all Vinny on us. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, if you just think that it's this magical thing where I'm going to be able to beat everyone, that's yeah. that's going to do your head in pretty quickly. So It does do your head in. Yeah. You get a new a new guy that just walks through the door and he's super physical, you'll still struggle with him. Mm. Like, And I know I'm, I'm not as far down the path as Grant, but look, yeah, like it, it gets you to a certain point, but at a certain point it just doesn't get you any further. No, it yeah. still does though. I mean, but, you look at it and you get times where you get some new young guy who comes in and they go 100 miles an hour and the first time you use your technique and it's like, oh, this was fun, you know, yeah. he's going to learn from it. Then the second time he comes back and does the exact same thing and then you get an elbow across your nose or something <laughs> like that and you still get in the back of your head. Like you don't just completely switch off your your physicality and those urges. There are times where you go, you know what, pal? Yeah. You're going to get it. I'm as strong <laughs> as you. you yeah. when, and, and I think black belts are the best at this. They, 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 I can see it with Grant when he's like wrestling that new guy that's just super aggressive and there's arms and legs everywhere. It's like a baby giraffe. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can see this sort of evil sort of smile comes on his face. He's still very calm, grappling very calm, but then this smile comes on the face, starts to get a little bit red, and he's going, okay, I need to turn it up on this guy a little bit to teach him what sort of jiu-jitsu is. Yeah. But it happens a lot. Yeah. And I was probably one of those guys as well. 
So I can't really throw well, everyone came, under you the came, bus. You entered with big muscles into jiu-jitsu, right? But it happens so much. <laughs> like, mm. And I think that's just part of the process. Yeah. It's it's that calm and storm. Mm-hmm. When you see me smiling like that, that's the this is fun. Yeah. yeah. You know, people come in to be physical. Yeah. They do. You know, if they didn't want to be physical, they'd be doing chess. Talk yeah. about Matt enforces. A lot of academies... Our, ca- our, ca- no, our academy is like, yeah, we, we, we got a lot of old, older guys. So, yeah. And we're all... Experienced we're all at life. <laughs> experienced at life. And, we're, and, we're, and it's a really sort of good, fun mm. atmosphere. We have fun at our academy, that's for sure. But a lot of academies, there's, there's, there's Matt enforcers. There's people that were yeah. sort of... The, the head coach might sort of give the old nod to the, to the Matt enforcer to, to sort out the new guy or the guy that's causing some problems. Yeah, and, have, and I think the reality is people have got to remember this whole art of jiu-jitsu, it, it is rooted very much in a fight. Mm. You know, the back in the day, they weren't training to compete in jiu-jitsu events. They were training to fight other people. You know, they were, they were back in the old Valachudo days in Brazil where it was no gloves, no rules. There's some really good VT fights that I have to show you later. <laughs> um, but it, it, was, it was really physical. We talk about the gentle art and, you know, using leverage. And then, <laughs> okay, cool. That's fine. Well, jiu-jitsu originally involved weapons. It did. And it adapted to what we have today. But, you know, jiu-jitsu, when Miyamoto Musashi and the samurais were doing it, yeah. there were plenty of weapons it's involved. It's what happens when yeah. you fall off your horse and you lose your armor. Yeah. And that's why my understanding And when your last three swords don't work, you still yeah, got <laughs> That's why they were in the kimono, because it simulates the sort of stuff that guys would wear underneath their armor. Yeah. You know? So I think that when it comes to mad enforcers, it's... It's very much part of the old school, new school mentality as well. Right. The the new competitive schools have got guys who can move a million miles an hour and can dazzle you and tie you in pretzels before you even know what's happening. But that older school mentality, that, that slow it down, grind it out, take your time, let them feel every kilo of your pressure and then some. I think that that's often the best lesson to learn. If, yeah. if someone comes into my academy and I tap them six times in a five-minute roll, what do they learn? They learn that, Okay, that coach is a jerk. He mm. just wants to beat me up. He wants to pick on me, you know. Um, oh, he's bigger. Oh, he's stronger. Oh, he's been training for fifteen years, you know. If I send one of my one of my students over there who's a little bit smaller, or your son, or my son, <laughs> who who has been training for a couple of years, you know, or even a couple of months, and, and that's the thing with jujitsu as well. Going to go a little bit off topic here, but that person who walks in for the first time, they're going to do one of two things. They're either going to go, wow. I just got flogged. I can't handle that. I'm never coming back. Mm. Or they're going to go, wow, I just got flogged. That's amazing. I need to learn how to do that. Yeah. You know? and, and what I always say to my new guys and my new girls is, look, you, you're going to lose a lot more than you're going to win early on here. But then in six weeks' time, someone new is going to come in and you're going to feel like you know all of the jiu-jitsu. You're going to feel like Keanu Reeves in The Matrix. <laughs> I know jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and you're just going to be able to move around them and you're going to think you're a wizard. I feel like the panda in Kung Fu Panda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you probably will be after we get back from lockdown. <laughs> I know. You know? Um, but that's it. And it can be a bunch of things. I think when it comes to mad enforcers, that tends to happen more when you get those people with the ego who come in and they just want to smash someone mm. and they don't want to realise that jiu-jitsu is a gentle art. Yeah. To a degree. You know, they just want to maybe prove something. Maybe they're a footballer or maybe they're, they've had MMA fights or this, that, and the other. They just want to come in and smash people. Mm. And that's and that's where you put that person on. But, yeah, the enforcer isn't always someone who's bigger, 
and stronger and can play pressure. It can be, yeah. you know, but sometimes it's someone who's just really, really little and quick and is going to have you out of breath in two minutes. Yeah. Well, they, say, they say fighting is like swimming, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you can see other people swimming in the water and even though you've never swam before, you're like, I can swim. Like, come on, these guys are swimming. You jump in the water, you'll drown, right? But, you know, a few lessons, you learn how to swim. Um, but a lot of people out there think that they can swim yeah. without even <laughs> and touching move, the water. And then they move their arms faster and faster and faster. Yeah. And they get tighter and tighter and tighter. We still see it in jiu-jitsu. People yeah. come in and think that they can fight. And, and even at the end of the round, against they might have gone against the black belt. They're still surprised at what happened. Like, yeah. how did that just happen to me? Yeah. I, I know how to fight. I've been in 25 street fights. and Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. What has what's probably the most important thing jujitsu has taught you as a person? To be it, calm. Be calm. To be calm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I try. Look, I've got a temper. I think anyone that says they don't I've have never a temper seen it. is lying. You've probably seen it once or twice. <laughs> but but that's the thing. It used to be a lot worse. I mean, yeah. I didn't play footy as a kid because I wasn't allowed to. Right. I wasn't allowed to because mum and dad thought I was too aggressive and I'd probably take someone's head off. Mm. So hence I played soccer. Um, so I've always had that temper yeah. and just to be calm and you're definitely a defender. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, was. I may have broken a kid's ankle in the end. Oh, oh, oh. That's another story. Yeah, really. Um, but that's all right. It was just a tackle. There was nothing illegal about it. Um, was it from a heel hook? Studs were up. No, I just connected with the ball at the same time. It was on his foot. Uh, and I swung a little bit harder than he did. So to be calm, that's probably the, the so far, my biggest lesson as well. Yeah. Although I've still got a lot of learning to do. Yeah. Have you heard of the term equanimity? Equanimity. Here we go. This is. Really, I love. This. I love my buzzwords. Come on, you got to whip on one buzzword. I, Spell it. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Just <laughs> well, basically, it's what you're talking about. Mm. The ability to stay calm when there's, you know, um, considerable things that should be throwing off your calmness. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's actually something that you can train Definitely. equanimity by keep putting yourself into the situation. It's something that you progressively get better at. Obviously, jujitsu makes you much better at this, but lots of things do. Even like yoga, mm. that's where this term comes from. Is yeah. um, in yoga, you have to remain calm in some of these very hard positions, and that's something that you train. And the more you do yoga, the better you get. The better positions you can hold. Same thing with jujitsu. So Absolutely, it's, there's it's, a lot of crossover between yoga and jujitsu as well. Jujitsu yeah. has probably the most crossover into other sports. It's not a lot. There's like that and gymnastics. Yeah. Probably those two sports mm-hmm. would be would have the most crossover into other sports. Yeah. Well, if amazing. you think about but, it, like fighting and martial arts is like the pinnacle of sports, right? You know, like people get in a, a disagreement in the soccer field, mm. they're getting a punch up, right? You get disagreement in jujitsu, like you know. Yeah. Or in, in mixed martial arts, for example, like you're already in a punch up, like where are you going to go from there? And you know what? That's what I like about strength sports. And it's what I like about martial arts, because at the end of the day, if you walk into a room and you pick up more than more weight than me, you're stronger than me. Yeah. You know, and it's the same with sprinting or, or racing events, you know, swimming, whatever it is. If you get to the end of the pool before me, you're better. It's a non-bullshit way. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. It's going to sort out who's who, you know, if you beat me in a fight. You got me. You're a better mm. fighter than me on the day. Whereas with, with a lot of other sports, I grew up playing a lot of team sports. I think everyone did. Maybe it's maybe there was that one moment on the field where one of our players miskicked a ball. Yeah. You lose the grand final 1-0. There's your entire season. There's your millions of dollars worth of sport mm. down the drain. You know. But I think that all comes back to, you're dead right about yoga and martial arts. It comes back to a growth mindset. Yeah. You know, If people walk in and they've got that fixed mindset, that idea of, I am this, I know this, I don't know that... Um, 
it's going to be very hard to succeed. Mm. But if you walk in with a growth mindset, oh, I can't do that yet. Mm. You know, and that's what we remind people. Yoga, I'm terrible at yoga at the moment. One day I'd like to get good at it. Maybe I will be. Mm. I'm not going to get any better at it by doing jiu-jitsu. But if I train in yoga, I can get better at yoga. Yeah. The more you turn up for jiu-jitsu, the better you get at jiu-jitsu. The more you put yourself in those difficult situations, the better you can get at handling difficult situations. And it does transfer across. Hmm. You know, it, it, trans- it transfers across into normal everyday life, life yeah. Yeah. as well. Big time. There's plenty of situations where we're in at work and we're flustered and we're... Yeah. And I'm not the best in when I'm when I'm flustered, but definitely it's like okay, just remember, take a deep breath. You're okay. Remain calm. You'll get through us one step at a time. Yeah. It's like that in jiu-jitsu. You might yeah. be in a bad position. Okay, take a deep breath. Think about where all our arms and legs are. One step at a time. How do I get out of here? How do I get to a advantageous position? So yeah, it can apply to to normal life as well. And it, what lets you. You kind of let different things influence you. You let them impact you or not. You know, mm. day to day as a school teacher, I see teachers every day. You can imagine we, we see probably 180 teenagers every single day, and I love them. They're awesome, but they know exactly how to press your buttons. Mm. And you see some people get so flustered, so worked up, and you just sit back and you're like, "He's pushing your buttons. He's going to say this next, <laughs> and you're going to react." And, and sure enough, it happens. Um, it's you learn how to stay calm and you realise that something like that, it's, it's not really going to make a difference to your life. Let them go. Anyone that's thinking of starting jiu-jitsu, is there an age limit? Our youngest kids are four. Yep. And we've got a 70-year-old who started with us about a year ago. So that's me. really not. <laughs> no. <laughs> Another 70-year-old. 70 70 okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is no age limit. You see people walk through the door at any age and... And they all go through a different, different journey, different process, I guess. And, and I think more significantly than your starting point is if you train jiu-jitsu smart, there is no end. Mm. If you train for efficiency of technique and if you train with the goal of, I mean, I want to be doing jiu-jitsu when I'm 70. I want to be doing it when I'm 80. When I'm 70 years old and I have however, whatever color belt or however many stripes, I'm going to be able to beat up that 25-year-old who comes in, you know? But I'm still going to be physically able to do it because yeah. that's the way I like to train. Yeah. You get young guys who are training. You see so many of the professionals are training two and three a days, six and seven days a week, plus strength and conditioning. Mm. You know, They are going to excel in the sport at a world level. There's no doubt about that. Are they going to be able to do it when they're 35 or 45? Are they then going to be able to go on and teach that to other people and share it? Or is it just a sport to them? Is it just competition? Hmm. And if it is, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think there's, you've got to have goals in your life. And to be the best in the world, that's a fantastic goal. Um, but for me, I got into jiu-jitsu a little bit later. My goal is more about, one, being able to train every day for as long as I possibly can. And two, sharing that with as many people as I possibly hmm. can. Yeah. So, so no age restriction, no gender restriction either. Plenty of females getting into jiu-jitsu and it's probably a sport. Like females, like we mentioned it earlier, females are really good. They've got yeah. great flexibility. They seem to move better. Their technique is sharper because it has to be, but it brings a nice balance to an academy. It really does. If you've got an academy full of ego-driven meathead guys or whatever, it, it's it's definitely a – it's probably not a good environment to be in. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it just brings a nice balance. It really does, doesn't it? And, I mean, we're, we're 
I want to say we're lucky, but we're not. We've got a couple of fantastic females who lead at our academy, and, and funnily enough, we're both married to them. They're <laughs> badass, and too, they, the women at our academy. That, Shout out to jiu-jitsu women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but more than that, they're such cool role models. You know, they don't walk around flexing. They don't walk around doing anything. They're really, really humble. They want to share everything they possibly can, and they empower other women. Mm-hmm. Because, again, like we've said, women especially are probably not going to come into a jiu-jitsu academy to fight. There, there will be some, there's no doubt about that, and that's super badass. But a lot of them are coming in because they want to learn to protect themselves. They mm. want to learn to defend themselves. And they've heard that this jujitsu thing is one of the best ways that someone can be efficient and protect themselves against someone who is bigger, is stronger, all that kind of stuff. So I guess it's my duty, it's our duty, to make sure that when they come in, they don't feel intimidated by us. They don't feel threatened by us. But also that we don't treat them with cotton wool and just no. you know, let them get some false sense of security, which does happen in a mm. lot of places, and that worries me. Um, we, we've developed a culture where you know, the ladies who train with us get really good training you know, and they feel confident, and they feel confident because they've got those genuine skills. Mm. And then when the new guys come in and they think they're going to have an easy round over there, Got another thing coming. <laughs> That's the funniest thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. which I, think. I can imagine. <laughs> it's super, super important for women, especially young, young women as well. I think there's certain things that positions and experiences young women can get themselves into at certain points of their life, not from their own doing. Uh, unsafe positions as well. That's why I love jujitsu. I mean, to to replicate having a man basically on on top of you putting all this force on you potentially grabbing your neck or your arms or sh- whatever it is pinning you down and to know how to defend against that as a young woman super important yeah. and that is probably one of the main reasons i've got my daughter doing yeah. jiu-jitsu as well yeah. hmm. what do people look for in an academy if they're just starting what should you look for the right vibe for you mm. people ask that a question that question a lot they think that there's some mythical best academy in the world yeah. okay maybe there is if if that's yours, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Central Coast, iconic jiu-jitsu. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out us. Um, it really depends on your vibe. Mm. If, if you're someone who wants to go into MMA, you're going to look for someone where there's a lot of people your size, a lot of physical people, a lot of people who want to train hard, value strength, value conditioning, value hard work. If you're someone who wants to get into it because you want to protect yourself, you probably don't want to go to that place where you're going to learn all these fantastic sports-specific techniques but not how to deal with someone who's trying to punch you. Mm. Um, it really, the biggest thing I say to anyone, the biggest piece of advice I can give to anyone who is starting jiu-jitsu is try a few places near you. See what fits you. So I think mm. you guys were saying with, with training and exercise last week, you're going to want to go to the place that you enjoy. Yeah. You know, you're going to train in a way, you know, I hate long runs. And it's different for everybody. It's different for everyone. And the vibe that you're after Mm. might be different to the vibe that I'm after. That doesn't make my academy better or worse. It doesn't make you good or bad. Mm. It just means that we're not quite that gel. So so the biggest advice I give to people is, yeah, try a few places that are near you. See which one vibes with you the most Mm. because it's very much about the people who you're training with. Yep. It's very much about who you're learning from. And different instructors have got different styles as well. We all mm. know that from school. You mm. know, Some of your teachers, they can all teach the same stuff. Mm. You know, It doesn't make them better or worse teachers, but one teacher might resonate with the way you're learning. One teacher might resonate with the way you're learning. Mm. And that's where you'll excel. Yep. So, yeah. So talk to us about how you transition from a student to a teacher. I guess, you know, it's kind of, um, <laughs> I guess you have to really believe in 
you know, all the things you've learned over yeah. time to, to teach it well and yeah, can't look, imagine it's too I'm always easy. a student. I'm yeah. always a student. Even when I'm in front of the class, I love the phrase, when you teach, you learn twice, hmm. you know, and, and certainly it's a huge responsibility that I take on to, to pass on what's been passed on to me and to do it properly and to do mm. it justice. So when I get the opportunity to teach kids especially, you know, it, that's such a privilege. Yeah. Parents are coming to us and they're saying, we want you to build our kids into better people. We want you to give them confidence. We want you to give them physical skills, but all those psychological skills to, mm. to deal with pressure situations. Um, so being a teacher, and as I've said, I've been a high school teacher for 20 years, so it's what I love doing and mm. I always have. And yeah, just the, the privilege of teaching. I don't think everybody is a teacher. I don't think everybody needs to be a teacher. I don't think every black belt out there needs to teach jiu-jitsu and needs to share it to the world. Mm. But also some of the best teachers I've got in my academy, the guys and girls who are helping me teach, they might be white belts, blue belts, purple belts, but they're really great at working with people hmm. or they're really great at breaking down techniques you know uh, i say to my guys a lot of the time you don't need to know every technique there is i need to not that i'm going to use most of them my jiu-jitsu is whittled down to probably five or six things that i do over and over and over again they probably get bored with it hmm. you know with what i do but it gets bo really boring getting choked by the same <laughs> submission time and time again for years on end yeah <laughs> isn't there like a bruce lee quote about this the man yeah, yeah. fear the man who who's practiced one kick a thousand times yeah the man who's kicked a thousand perhaps a thousand kicks one time yeah. that's yeah. the one way more eloquent than me <laughs> yeah so i need to know i need to stay up to date with the latest techniques mm. i need to be able to give my students what they're after and that might be the self-defense that might be someone might want to go and compete mm. and, and that's why i do keep my toe in that competition pool but you yeah, you're big on seminars as well you'll travel all around the state yeah. or all around the country really if someone from brazil or someone in another country a, a, a leader in jiu-jitsu I mean, you're, you're constantly going to seminars yeah, to, to learn more and bring them back to your academy. And what, what it's also quite fascinating is you think about these samurai martial arts, you know, back in the day, they were top secret. You couldn't learn them unless you were, you know, samurai pedigree. Even, even when I started, and even to a degree now, there is that tribalism a lot hmm. in jiu-jitsu. Um, it's changed so much. It used to very much be your school A, I'm school B, your school C. Still yeah. exists. It still exists. Hmm. Um, but maybe we went to school together. But you live 10Ks that way, I live 10Ks that way, so we train at different schools. We could be best mates, but if our instructors ever heard that we were training together, or heaven forbid, if I wanted to bring you to train with my mates, mm. you know, that'd be all over. Um, and what that led to was real specific styles, I guess you'd say. You'd almost know that if you, if you learn from Academy A, they're going to have a really heavy top game. If you learn from Academy B, mm. they might be looking to play off the bottom and sweep, for example. You know, what's happening now with the advent of the internet, but also as it becomes more open to more people, is people are more open to cross-training. Mm. People are open to not only training in other martial arts, but also to training with other people from other academies with other ideas in that pursuit of all getting better together. You and, know? and that's why it's so um, fascinating, you know. It's like teaching something that was once not meant to be taught, designed to be not taught to yeah. people. So. Yeah. And, and it was the same with capoeira. You mm. know, I mentioned a while ago that that was what I did originally. That evolved in Brazil because fighting was outlawed. 
And so the slaves in Brazil disguised it as a dance. Yeah. You know, so I guess I guess now that we've got the opportunity to share it and the opportunity to teach it to people, it's almost like I said, not for everyone, but for me, yeah. um, it's it's almost my duty to do so. And that's why when we talk about the the self defense and that that Gracie Jiu Jitsu, um, a lot of people have moved away from that towards the sport. It's not right. It's not wrong. Hmm. Um, and, and I certainly, I've got the utmost respect for those elite competitors. And, and in Australia, there are some really, really elite competitors on the world stage. And that's bringing everyone up. Hmm. You know, but for me, I want to be able to teach anyone jiu-jitsu. I don't want to only be able to teach that person who's really flexible or really agile or that person who's 17, 18, 19 years old. I want to be able to teach that 70-year-old man and that four-year-old to move their body in the most efficient way they can. Yeah, and you know, putting some samurai geek stuff onto this, um, this is also like the philosophy of Miyamoto Musashi, right? He, he was kind of self-trained, and there was all these samurai sword schools in Japan, and um, you know, he was because his dad was a samurai, he kind of had a right to challenge them. So basically, the story of Musashi is he went around Japan to all the top sword schools, and obviously, it's a fight to the death mm. back then, and he he beat them all, right? So he he you know he was saying. Um, just some of the stuff I've been reading is that, you know, um, these sword schools, they get such a big name that the name is bigger than the school itself. So how he won one of his first duels is, you know, against the top counterattacking school in Japan, he turned up three hours late for the fight and he knew the guy would be angry and rush him. So he, yep. he counterattacked him because that guy's not an effective, um, you know, aggressive um, fighter. But yeah. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Strategy. When he, when he started jiu-jitsu, Darren? Uh, when I retire from powerlifting. Retire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, change of pace. Well, we've got you here. Fight tips for UFC 249, Ugh. which is on May 10th, Australian time, I think, May 10th. I don't do martial arts, but I watch martial arts. It's a deep <laughs> card. It's a deep it card, isn't And it's it? the, one of the first sports in the world to return to action. I think they're doing it in Florida where um, they're able to do it legally. Yeah. You can do anything in Florida. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> UFC 249, main card, main event, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje for the interim lightweight. No, no Carter attacking there. It's all no. <laughs> interim lightweight title. Yeah, look, I think Gaethje's... On the up and up, yeah. I just wonder if he's quite where Ferguson is at the moment. I think that having big fight experience is a is a massive thing. I think Ferguson, everything we've talked about today, Ferguson stays so calm. Mm. He, he's throwing mm. a million miles an hour, but that whole time he's just in the pocket. He's yeah. calm. He knows what he's doing. Controlled chaos. Some exactly. Good right. fireworks. Gaethje's a bit like that, but um, yeah, uh, but just hasn't got the same experience. Yeah. But I, I love what's happening now. It's so many close fights. Yeah. Who, who you got? Ferguson. Darren. Ferguson, he's something else up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, it's whatever working. it is. Up there, out there, wherever. So, Hudo versus late replacement Dominic Cruz. This is Cruz's first fight back in a couple of years, I think, or at least eighteen months. Yeah, and, and I think, straight for the title. I think well, that, he deserves it. I'll say nothing about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He's, he's put his time in. Every fight's a title fight these days. Isn't well, it? an interim yeah. fight or something. It's funny Look, that the title fight isn't the main event, though. <laughs> Well, there's two. The interim. The interim. Oh, it's They're interim. making it an interim. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Because yeah. Khabib is currently in Ramadan and, and he's not he available. Kind of, no, it was COVID. So he was. Oh, that's right. He's stuck yeah. there as well. Oh, yeah, stuck okay. And then Ramadan. Okay. Yeah. So, so he's not back until October or something, something like, that. like that. September, yeah. October. Yeah. yeah. So Cruz, who you got, boys? I can't stand Cejudo. I just really? cannot. Yeah. yeah, but I think he's going to win. The king of cringe, yeah. Yep. Well, he, he's, it's his first fight back off shoulder surgery yeah. as well. So it'll be interesting to it, see how he is. Interesting to have two guys on comebacks. I think Cruz is probably one of, if not the smartest fighters. Yeah. 
certainly for a lot of years. Yep. I think Randy mm. Couture back in the day was the smartest fighter. Um, but Cruz is one of the smartest, definitely. But I think that Zahuda is just a little bit younger, a little bit faster, a little bit more powerful. Yeah, interesting. It's going to be an interesting matchup. Nganu hmm. versus Rosenstreich. No. <laughs> <laughs> this could either be a fizzer yeah. or a, just a barn burner. I want to say that the crowd's going to be the real winner. You <laughs> never know with heavies, do you? No. Nah. Yeah. And there's going not going to be a crowd. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I, I love Nganu. Um, yeah, he's like Nganu. one of my favourite. Favorite. Got to go for Nganu. But who knows, if, if it goes three rounds, uh, could be a cardiologist somewhere. Yeah, yeah, could be. And, and that'll be interesting as well to see how many of these guys, I mean, you assume that they're being a little bit naughty on the sly. You assume that they're still training. Yeah. But you never know with these guys. You never know the quality of the training. That Whenever your routine changes, you know, no matter who you are, yep. it's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we also got uh, the heading up the prelims, Cowboy Pettis 2. Oh. <laughs> Fan favourites. The fans yeah. are going to win that one. <laughs> Fan favourites. Yeah. Who, who knows with this one? Both of these guys either fully show up mm. or they... They show up every time. I'm not going to ever bag anyone that jumps in that cage, but they're either on or they're off. Yeah. yeah. Both of these two. And I think it's an important fight for both of them as well. They're, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And mm. either one will be on yeah. and the other will be off. That makes it a quick fight. Yep. Either way. If they're both on, it is probably the most entertaining fight for the past five years. Similar styles too, yeah. sort of. Rock and yeah. sock and robots. Yeah. yeah. But they've both got really good jiu-jitsu, underrated jiu-jitsu games as well. So good cooking games as well. I'm yeah. not going to go through all the fights, but um, Vadum's fighting. He's Wait, back from... Who, who are you guys picking? Cowboy or... Uh, I'm going to go Cowboy. I love him. I'm going to go Showtime. Come on. <laughs> oh, I can't be on the fence because that's Showtime's gig. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go with Cowboy. Cowboy, nice. Um, <laughs> and we've got Vadum versus Olenek. Who knows? I know. Who knows? Vadum, three, four years ago, Vadum had the most dominant jiu-jitsu in the heavyweight division. You know, Olenek's shown that he's no slouch either. Uh, I think this comes down, I really think that this fight comes down to the training partners that they've got access to in the lead-up to it. Mm -hmm. I, really I wonder do. what they're doing. They're obviously training. Yeah. They've obviously got a small group of training partners, but it'd be interesting to see this UFC card, um, what sort of condition they're in. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know that they would have had a proper full fight camp. No. Apart from Tony Ferguson, he, he's absolutely nuts. He's, he's probably been... out there kicking a pole somewhere, yeah, like definitely. Yeah. And he, he actually made the. This fight was meant to take place what a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. He actually went and made weight for the fight. He cut weight. Yeah, yeah. And now he has to cut weight again a few weeks later. Which who, who knows what That's sort of impact that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess it just shows he's, he's ready to go. Yeah. Should we um should we dive into some sports current events? Yeah, Hal, let's go. what Hal? have you got for us this week? You've been quiet today, Hal. Yes, okay? This usually comes about 20 minutes in. Well, yeah. this is uh, actually his bedtime. So uh, <laughs> 4.30 in the afternoon. It's, it's nap time. Yeah. <laughs> what do we got, Hal? Um, yeah, we switched it up. We wanted to talk about um, the new uh, Bulls documentary. Last Dance. The Last Dance. I've seen the first two episodes. Oh. And I'm not a huge basketball fan. I was so intrigued just from the mental aspect. Mm. I saw Jordan probably from the midway through his career to the end of his career, but I didn't know how good he was early on. It was so, yeah. it was Fre so cool to freaky. Watch. Yeah, it made me want to grab a bloody basketball yeah. and get out there and pretend to dunk. Yeah, it's it's such a good documentary. And you know what's crazy? It was the number one Netflix show in Australia. That's how much people are missing sports. Yeah, but you know? know what it is? Is back when Jordan was so prominent. Like, I mean, all those guys are talking about the '92 Dream Team. They'll get to the '96 Dream Team, all that. That's when basketball, like the NBA, had oh. its first resurgence or had its first real eminence in Australia. I remember being in high school at the time, showing the age a little bit, 
And we all knew every team. We all had the basketball cards. You'd know the 10th player on any given team. And I think that's what it is. It's a lot of guys mm. and girls who are, who are our generation. And they're sitting down. I sat and watched it with my kids. It's hard enough to get them to watch something for five minutes. Yeah. They were enthralled for two hours. So are my kids. It was mm. crazy. The, the craziest part of the whole thing so far is, and one thing I wasn't aware of was the Scotty Pippen story. Yeah. Number two player in the game getting paid pittance. Yeah. Granted, I wish I he, 18 million pittance. Well, yeah, I know, but yeah pittance, relatively speaking. Relative. And because he signed a long contract, but yeah. that was, it was yeah, so some interesting <laughs> to see the dynamics between the administration of the mm. Chicago Bulls and the number one team in the world. They're basically, yeah. the administration's looking to sort of rebuild, bring in younger players while they're still at the height and winning championships year after year. You want to get rid of Phil Jackson? Yeah. Phil yeah. Jackson. They were, like, unbelievable. Like, you can win the NBA title one year and then they're talking about, you know, seeding, bringing yeah. in new, new players and get, getting... Well, it, hap- it happens today, the same stuff, you know. And it still does, but while you're on top... Yeah. I think the interesting thing is, though, that it happens today and, and teams that do it right... Feed players in and out, so they filter it. There's a succession plan. Yeah, yeah you've you got s- you've got the old the old guys there. Yeah. They're still there to mentor the young guys, and they do it well. But you saw it went wrong a few years ago with the Australian cricket team when we lost five or six of the best players to ever mm. play the game within an eighteen month stretch, and Australian cricket was down in the dumps for a while because they hadn't fed those players in because some of those guys stayed in too long because they were dominant. Mm. But you look at successful clubs in any sport in the world. They're not making bulk changes. They're not changing their coach, their number two player, and this and that and the other. You feel you're blooding someone new mm. every season, yeah. and then you don't notice the change. Well, you know, the Bulls haven't been on top since. But, nope. you know, what? Um, something else I discovered when I was digging through the archives was um, Musashi actually used to have uh, – we used to supply the Chicago Bulls um, back, back in the 90s. Crazy. Um, one of the many teams. Chicago um, Bulls. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure you – Oh, yeah. Bring it I don't this know way. If people see that. Yeah. There you go. There's a lot of, lot of people in Masashi used to support back in the day. Yeah. Been yeah. around for 30 something years. So Yeah, so I was watching this documentary and I was like had like this mind-blowing moment. I'm like, "What? What if while this guy while this was going on, well, these you, guys were on Masashi?" You Listen, mentioned you had great seats for the last UFC. Imagine having great seats. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> There's some other big names yeah. that we've supported over the years. Yeah, I was just reading that list before the podcast. Dorian Yates is on there. Really? So, yeah, Dorian Yates, you've got the Green Bay Packers. You've got the All Blacks. Yeah, Australian rugby team. Like this just The New York Giants. Worked with everyone over the years. Mm. What else has happened, Hal? Uh, next on the list, we're talking about renaming or naming, I should say, Barcelona's uh, football stadium after Mike Tyson's cannabis company. Yeah, so the new camp or the Camp Nou, which is, you know, Barcelona, obviously, you know, one of the greatest football teams in the world. Um, there hasn't been a name for the stadium. It's kept the traditional name rather than a sponsored name. What they're doing is auctioning off the name and sending the proceeds to um, coronavirus support. And what, Mike Tyson's weed company? A lot of people probably don't even know that he owns one of the biggest weed companies in the world. Yeah, so it, it could, that's what, that's what we read, um, you know, it could be named after Mike Tyson's weed company, which is Tyson uh, Holistic or something like that, but very interesting. And, mm. you know, Spain's a pretty liberal place, so it's not really controversial there. Talk about someone that has evolved over the years, Mike Tyson. Yeah. Going from a savage to one of the most open and honest and reflective humans on the planet, I think. I think he'd still be a savage. Yeah. Oh, he'd definitely still be a savage. <laughs> he, I read something the other day, he's... um. Uh, get trying to get back in shape to do some exhibition 
boxing matches. Imagine if who? No one. <laughs> who Ma- would? Mark Hunt. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> right hey. now, sign it. Shout out to Mark Evander Hunt. Evander Holyfield. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. What else is happening, Hal? Um, next on the list, you mentioned it briefly earlier about some uh, NRL stars getting busted going camping during uh, lockdown. Saw this. Mm, very Latre- controversial. Latrell Mitchell and Josh Adokar spotted going camping. Breaking social distancing rules. So I guess, I don't know, they might be open to some... Um, they made the mistake of posting it on yeah. social media. That's where... Yeah. They shouldn't have been doing it in the first place, but then they posted it on social media. And it's uh, it's all gone wrong from there. So I guess. Well, I don't think they posted it. I think you know people are like I'm camping with Josh Edelkar. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. excited people, but um, mm. yeah, I guess something's gonna happen. Well, it'll be interesting to see because the NRL will be so much under the spotlight at the moment, especially since they've just lost their chief executive. But they're, mm. they're about to go back into training. Well, that's this like, this week. So, and there's already people who a lot of people who are critical of that. Yeah. So they've got to, if nothing else, they've got to be seen. To be doing all the right things about yeah, this. true, and they're talking about isolating players in hotels yeah. and you know, <laughs> yeah, or on a beach in Tyre. Yeah, <laughs> we don't always make the right decisions when we're in our early twenties, through to fifties. Yeah, well, yeah, still, I'm still not making the right decisions. <laughs> what anyway. are you talking about? Speak for yourself. Always make the right decisions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. Nah, still making all the wrong ones. <laughs> what else you got, Hal? Um, the cricket is talking about legalizing tampering. Ball tampering. Yeah, legalizing it. Yeah, so you know, and out with the sandpaper. Well, maybe, maybe not uh, legalizing it to the extent of the Australian cricket team, but uh, you know how um, they spit on the ball and obviously rub it just to you know give it a bit of shine. Some do more than spit on it. Yeah, but the spit is a carrier for coronavirus, right? So they're actually talking about. So what are they going to use instead of spit? Some kind of moisturizing spray that allows them to to actually legally moisturizing ball rub. Mm. Yeah, yes. uh, you've got some of that like, <laughs> under your desk. <laughs> <laughs> under your desk. <laughs> oh, talk about editing things out of a podcast. That's going. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. So some sort of spray, so they can still continue to shine the ball and get a little bit of swing and reverse swing and stuff happening, mm-hmm. but yeah. without using spit. Mm. It well, go, it goes through. The thing is, though, ball goes through to the wicketkeeper. He then flicks it off to the person in the slips. Throws it over to the person in the cover. Throws it up to the bowler. Like it goes through five sets of hands. What are they going to disinfect it after every time? Like, yeah. Well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But uh, I read something else the other day, and it's like uh, something from a cricket fan. It's like, you know, <laughs> thank the sporting lords that this is happening during during footy season and not cricket <laughs> season. <laughs> so. Well, there's talk with the T20 World Cup. What's going to happen with that? Oh yeah. So interesting. Mm-hmm. What else? How? Uh, last on my list, um, the 2020 NFL draft set a new record for viewership. So the draft usually takes place at a certain, in a certain venue, right? It's almost like a big awards show or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all been done online or televised? Uh, or, uh, something like that. Um, you I'm guys are fully the across this, but NFL is like one of the only sports I don't really watch. <laughs> so, the, uh, so the draft, they've, they've basically done it on by broadcast or by online. Yeah. And um two main reasons for this. So first of all, it's a fifteen point six million people watched round one. The first reason, obviously because of coronavirus, more people are interested in the sport. The second reason is it's actually been a pretty impressive draft class. True. More than anything else. Yeah. They're expecting a lot of young talent. Yeah. No, it should be pretty interesting. Like everything to do with sports now is just engaging people yeah. so much. 
Because there's this absence of sport Nothing from people's lives. And there was a young Aussie guy. I can't remember his name. He was a, an a, a Ex-AFL guy, guy. Yeah. yeah. He mm. didn't get picked up in the draft, but he got picked up straight after it. wonder what position. Some, punter. Yeah, punter for sure. Yeah. <laughs> He's not even part of the team as a punter. He's like just, a winger. Well, they, yeah, have like, they, they have three different somewhere. teams. You know? <laughs> yeah. Hangs out with the footballers. They do call it special teams. Yeah. Shout out to all the punters out there. Yeah. That's it, Hal. Any listener questions this week? We had a couple today. Um, the first one was from Charlie C. Uh, and he has a question regarding exercise with low weight. And he says, exercising with low weight and high reps, is that the best way to tone muscle? Tone? Gain muscle? He just says tone. Well, you know... Um, is he, there's a lot of things you yeah. need to consider. Are they a new lifter, experienced lifter, and what they're... That's Goal. That's what the question says. Uh, if I could Tough. interpret it, if I'd say, if you want to just tone your muscle, I yep. guess he's thinking of more aesthetic than anything else. Yeah. Well, if you want to tone your muscle, um, you know, listen to the last podcast where we talked about fat loss. But <laughs> um, um, obviously, toning is about building and leaning up. So um, to build muscle, you got to go relatively heavy. Um, to lose some fat, obviously, it comes back to calories, cal- um, calories in, calories out. So. Um, I guess, you know, the, it's kind of a myth that higher reps are better for toning and lower reps are better for, um, you know, bulking up. It, there's there's more than one way to achieve both, so. Yeah. Look, probably when most people talk about toning up, they, they're talking about putting on lean muscle and, and being that lean muscle being visible. So they're being lean enough where you can see it. Yeah. I always recommend anyone starting, try and train three to four days a week. Um, no more than sort of 10 working sets per body part per week and somewhere in the 8 to 12 rep range is a good starting point. Yeah. And that's what I'd recommend as well. As long as they're look, looking after their nutrition and also getting some cardio in. Um, and, and focus on compound movements. Yeah, focusing on good solid compound movements, they'll achieve it. But it's a long process. Mm. But a, a, lot of, a lot of the toning comes down to tone comes down to cardio and um and nutrition and a lot of the muscle gain is, is going to come from lifting weights consistently nice um we have another question from daniel cabrera who asks um more of a personal question what kind of music do you guys listen to when you're exercising oh, michael buble <laughs> no what do you <laughs> let's guys, ask our guest do you, guys, do you guys have any music on at the dojo oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we roll this, this is the fun part, this is the fun part <laughs> isn't it? yeah we roll to music every night and it kind of it almost depends on the mood a lot of the time to lift i listen to heavy stuff i, I listen to hate, some examples yeah. hate breed pantera stuff like that diving into a bit of black metal these days but at the academy i really use music as the mood, mood yeah. setup if you've got a couple of those meatheads coming in a couple of new guys who you're worried i'll Brit- throw something on really chill out fun. britney oh. spears yeah, Britney Spears. Rick Astley gets a run from time Rick to time. Rick Astley gets a yeah, run at our academy more than he should. Yeah, which yep. is it should be zero. It should be zero, <laughs> but you know. What about um, you, Darren? What do you listen to? Oh, it depends what kind of training is going on. You know, deadlift day. Got to whip out some Tupac, but apart from that, just regular, <laughs> mainly hip hop. Lot, lots of Rage Against the Machine as well. But yeah, I listen to podcasts. Crazy. When you lift. Because I, I listen to music, I get sort of too worked up and I might gas myself out or I'm going at too fast a pace or I'm trying to lift too much weight and injure myself. I like to remain, as we were talking about before, nice and calm, listen to podcasts, focus on squeezing the muscle and getting the most out of the workout. Well, it's actually um, been studied that music can have a significant psychological effect on your performance. You look at every single um, swimmer in the Olympics when they come out, you know, they got their headphones on. Um, I even think that you do your, your walkout song 
as a fighter, you know, that plays on your mind on, on how you're going to perform. Um, you know, every time I lift heavy weights, the hype-up song yeah. makes a big difference. You know, there's research on, um, on listening to music and training as well. So if you're, if you're listening to your music when you're training, is it going to have that boost effect? Mm. Or if you listen to calm music when you train, but then you kick your psych-up music for your last set mm -hmm. or when you compete or that, is it an ergogenic aid like nutrition, like, you know? I reckon true, it true. is. It does mm. help, and especially yeah. with cardio as well. I find like... What? You, yeah, well, <laughs> cardio, jiu-jitsu is cardio for us. <laughs> but I, it can help. When you're at the academy and you're rolling and you're struggling for breath, if the music's sort of loud enough and you're in the swing of it, you forget about how exhausted you are. Yeah. You sort of, you can almost get into the it's the flow or the beat of the music you while like you're rolling. like an emotional well. connection to many songs, you know. If you listen to music a lot, uh, lots of songs can can trigger some emotions. Like hyping you up is an emotion, you know. Like you talk, talk to my wife, an ex-dancer um, who's gone into jiu-jitsu. Her jiu-jitsu, when she's rolling with someone, <laughs> she'll wait to a certain beat in the song before she starts to sort of work a certain technique. That's yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty, keep the toes pointed. If you, yeah, if, you if you had to walk out in a fight in the know. UFC, what, what song would it be? Oh, what's so, your walkout so song? So I've actually I've had four cage grappling matches, so not full MMA, but down in down in Tassie. And um, I actually emceed those shows as well, which is pretty fun. But my, the best one I've come out to, so first time I went out to Disturb, Down With The Sickness. Oh, yeah. A little bit cliche. Um, my, f my most favourite one was I walked out to Taylor Swift, Shake It Off. What? <laughs> was, was that the same um, comp that you you competed in your pink Speedos? Oh, I can neither confirm nor deny those <laughs> oh, allegations. Maybe it's on YouTube somewhere. We should look it up. But yes, <laughs> and it only lasted 37 seconds, I think. Uh-oh. Wow. Sounds like Darren's Saturday night. Chop that out. I wasn't going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> um, no more listening Steady questions. Strength and endurance. Come on. <laughs> Nice, nice. Um, Miyamoto Masashi quote of the week. So we've well, got a we've got asked a... Um, Professor Sensei Coach Grant. <laughs> what what do jujitsu coaches like being called? Some sensei, some professor. Dude, so many love professor, and and it's not prof well, it's professor only because it means teacher in yeah. Portuguese. Uh, I like being called Grant. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Coach Grant. It is. No, but even coach. Yes, yes, Sensei. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mercy has yeah. no place in this dojo. Even when I'm texting Coach Grant, I'll always write Coach Grant. <laughs> because always I know coach. it triggers me. Oh, yeah, it does. It does <laughs> trigger you. All right, Masashi quote of the week. Yeah, what well, have you got? Hang on, what do we got? We've got, so there's a whole bunch of good ones. And I thought that this one was um, really cool for now. Yep. Is the true science of martial arts means practicing them, practicing them in such a way that they'll be useful at any time and to teach them in such a way that they will be useful in all things. Very applicable to today's topic of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, staying calm in the eye of the storm, like we said. Mm. And practicing them so that you can apply them in all things, in different areas of your life as well. We talked about, you know, applying not just the physical part of it, but the mental part of it to different parts of your life. You know, um, the whole point of a lot of martial arts is to not use them. Exactly. And that was the other one I was looking at. Yeah. Absolutely. No, good, sure. good quote. Yeah, it is a good quote. And you can sort of... Jiu-Jitsu does relate to a lot of things in your life. And I know we've, we've sort of touched on this before, but Jiu-Jitsu can be a very sort of systematic sort of sport. You go from one position to you're looking, you've got your game. You know where you want to end up and mm. there's various steps that you need to take to get there. And I think that has helped me outside Jiu-Jitsu as well. I know what I need to do with work. I know what the, the end goal is. Okay, 
what are all the different steps that I need to take to get to that end goal? Because hmm. you can't just jump from that first thing straight to the end goal. And that's the same with anything in life, really. Hmm. So, yeah, that's what it means to me. It's a process. Good, good quote. Good yeah. quote. Trust the process. If you wanted to submit a listener question, you can do so via uh, the email address podcast at masashi.com or you can uh, leave a review or ask a question on YouTube. Um, and also you can on Apple iTunes leave a review. Anyone that leaves a review will flick you out a free T-shirt. Hal is mouthing something to me. What have we forgotten? Oh, the oh, famous athlete how quote. Could how could we forget about the game? I know. Okay, Hal, you got a famous athlete quote for us, and we have to guess who said it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you a hint. You might see him tonight if you're watching The Last Dance. Okay. Yeah. Oh, um, shit. This quote says, I'm like tax. You gotta, you're gonna pay one way or another. Did you try to do it in his accent then? No, that would be very. I'm like, what is it? I'm sensitive. like, I'm like tax. I'm like tax. You gotta pay one way or another. I'm like tax. You gotta pay one way or another. I got a fair idea. But I, I think I know. Let's let Grant yeah. guess. Well, do you reckon it's the obvious answer? Well, I don't know. See, I think it's. It might be. It might. I well, who's the obvious answer in your head? <laughs> yeah. The obvious answer is Jordan. Ooh. Oh. Okay, so I'm, I'm thinking that sounds like see that sounds like one of his opponents. That to me sounds like something Reggie Miller would say. I think it's the worm. I think it's the worm. The Den- worm. Dennis Rodman. Rodman. Yeah. I think it's Rodman as well. Nope. Oh. Uh. oh, okay. There we go. Yeah. Makes it. We were just watching some um, old footage of Shaquille O'Neal in a bit of an altercation. We were watching before we started the podcast. We were actually watching NBA fights. Yeah. <laughs> so. Watched the malice at the palace. It seemed appropriate for today's topic of <laughs> jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But um, look, I just want to say thank you very much for coming all the way down here to do the podcast. It's been enlightening. Uh, hopefully all the listeners have learned something about jiu-jitsu. If you are thinking of starting jiu-jitsu, there's academies everywhere. First place to start is... Um, Iconic jiu-jitsu. Iconic jiu-jitsu <laughs> if you're yeah, on the Central, Central Coast. Coast. <laughs> um, any, any, any academies affiliated with sort of Gracie are safe bets. Um, but get it, get in there, learn something, get your family involved, and it's it's going to change your life. And I know that sounds very cult like, but it's an awesome sport. It's taught me a lot, and it definitely applies to other sports. It, it might not be your sole sport, but it's if you're a footy player, it's definitely going to help your footy. That's for sure. So get in there, give it a go. Any last words of wisdom before we sign off? I think that's about it. We said a little bit earlier, didn't we? You know, we the did. best time to start something's ten years ago. Second best times now. You can't start it now, but you know when you can get back out there and do something. You might miss out on your season of sport. Get out there, find some jujitsu. That's it. Yeah. Now I guess you know the history and the story of jujitsu. You know, you know what it's all about. So no excuses. Get into it. Yeah. Nice. Look, stay safe. Be kind to each other. Reach out to a friend, family member. Give them a call in these uncertain times. Touch base with people you don't normally speak to. Keep your sanity, but also remain close as a community. Any any words of wisdom, Hal? Beautiful. Signing out. Thanks. Uh, Next episode, I think we'll be touching on game day nutrition. So nutrition on the day of your chosen sport. Should be interesting. Should be good. Beautiful. Signing out. See you next time. Masashi out.